Hi. I got a tape I want to play. Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? Your move, creep. Take me to the volcano! So why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? Come with me if you want to live. This town needs an enema. Like I said, I need a bacchiatomy. Yes, that's a human ear, all right. I got a bad feeling about this. So it's come to this. It's come to all of this. We're here. We finally made this milestone happen. We made it. It's 176. Ah. How do you celebrate 76? <laughs> With the best tribute to the bicentennial we've got. I've been pushing for this one for a while. That's true. Yeah. I'm Charlie. I'm Eric. This is a movie podcast. And yeah, Eric has been <laughs> adamant. Adamant. That we do Nashville for 176. And uh, I... I'm not here to fight you. It's this was a good, good one. Good excuse to do an Altman movie. Yeah, the first we haven't time. done one of those yet. No, we kept kept getting Popeye fever. <laughs> <laughs> Popeye fever was taking hold. <laughs> yeah. Around episode 100, so the, I said, "God, I got to get that Robin Williams Popeye out of yeah, my system." Yeah, got to get it out. But and, still hasn't uh, happened. I would have thought we'd do like the Long Goodbye. Hmm. Long ago, I love that one. I love that so much. Uh, but Nashville, I don't know how many movies I love more than I love Nashville. I think this is just how many uh you know American movies from the seventies could you put above Nashville? Hmm. Honestly, it's, know, it's it's a cream of the crop kind of a movie. It's, a, yeah. it's the Godfather's Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. You know, Nashville's just right there, and I don't think Robert Altman did it better. This movie is something that went so far. Into the realm of movie territory that nobody had done before, that nobody can duplicate this movie. You know, it's like if John Cassavetes, instead of hanging out with Peter Falk and Ben Gazzara, if he knew like 5,000 people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just making a Cassavetes movie about a city, you know? It really does feel like a whole city in this movie. This is a uh, sprawling achievement this is is a big movie there's 24 speaking you know main characters uh and it's more than just vignettes of people it's these interconnecting stories that tell a bigger story of this whole city this time it's 1975 it's a very personal movie which was a big thing you know for american directors in the 70s and uh yeah this was you know I got to say, my first time watching it uh, this last week when we went and saw it on the big screen. Yeah. We rented a theater. We rented a theater to, to see, see Nashville. Uh, Nashville. And I'm glad you did that because that was a very cool <laughs> big screen experience. This I is had a to big see it. movie. This is a movie that I, I found in college. You know, that's when uh, I was becoming a film guy. You know, right. I was oh, knowing yeah. the films and I was catching <laughs> up on the classics and I was 18. And. Sonoma State had this on, had Nashville on Laserdisc. And I don't oh, know, I must have seen, that. you know, like a Roger Ebert review, sought it out. I, I don't know when I heard of it. And this is one of the only, I can say it's probably about 10 films that I've <laughs> seen for the first time on the disc. That's awesome. On the disc. You brought your Nashville I have, Laserdisc. I have my Laserdisc right here, which I, yeah, I watched it again. I, again, yeah. So... <laughs> I I don't know what to tell you about this. I fell in love with seventies American movies as well in the twenty. You know, in my twenties, <laughs> yeah, 20s. that same film. I, I love you know all the Coppolas and the Scorseses, and right. I even watched movies like McCabe and Miss Miller and 
and yeah, you Altman were movies, no. mm-hmm. and I just never, or <laughs> or I don't Nashville, remember, right? or I just don't remember. Yeah, there's so many movies, but uh, I just never saw this one until now, and and this is so up my '70s alley, right? As far as just seemingly unrehearsed, seemingly you know shot on the fly, but a very choreographed and intimate telling of all these characters who you love, even though. Nothing really happens in this movie. Yeah, there's no real plot, per se. There's no way to really recap this movie, because it's just spending five days with people as they live their lives. It's such a, like I said, impossible to duplicate idea. Like, go out and make a movie that just no one else can or will want to make. Yeah. This movie feels like a nightmare of editing. (laughs) You're working with an entire city of people. No real extras. These are just local residents everywhere in Nashville. And you have these 24 main characters in a movie that are all acting like their character at all times in this movie <laughs> because you never quite know when you're being filmed. These big crowd shots. An insane entertaining. So when I discovered this movie, and you know it's a two-disker. It's oh, a, yeah. It's a big It's a three-sided movie, right? laser disc. So yeah. I don't know where I heard about this movie, but I sought it out. Got a little room at the SSU library, which is how I watched a lot of movies in college, you know. They had all those little private viewing rooms. Yeah. And then Nashville became one of those movies that I tried to get people to watch. And then I got a record player and found that immediately at the Salvation Army. Mm-hmm. This great LP. Just as epic uh, a soundtrack as a movie, for oh, sure. Amazing. This is a, this is one of those movies where half of it is people singing songs because you're in Nashville <laughs> yeah. and you're following a bunch of singer-songwriters. At least 40% performance. Yeah. At least. And I love those kind of musicals. I, I'm not a big musical guy where a character will just start singing on the sidewalk. Right. But show me something about <laughs> performers and then watch them, you know, singing and do their thing on a stage. Of course. I can buy into that. And oh, I loved yeah. it in this movie. Absolutely. All the performances are great. The performances are so Some of my good. favorite stuff in the movie, for sure. I love... I listen to this LP so much. This is one of the... <laughs> this oh, yeah. is the record I spun the most when I got a record... When, a you know... Somebody's parents gave me their old record player, you know, when I was a teenager. I spun this so much, and I became obsessed with Nashville. But then, you know, there's new movies to take over an obsession, right? So it's like you fall out of love with an old favorite and then just kind of fall back in with it again. Mm. You remember everything about it, even if you haven't seen it in 15 years. And I feel like we're both uh, at that point in our lives where we can appreciate some of these messages more just about living life. Cause this is really a movie where it's like, it's it's, there's not one particular message being told. Mm-hmm. It's every, this movie's about everything. <laughs> it's every message. It's about religion and politics and families and women and yeah. men. And it's everything. In, it's one of those just ambitious kind of like you as the audience, you just kind of pull whatever you have in your own life going on out of this movie and, and connect to it on such a personal way because it's open to let you do that. It's really open that. to connect with in any way you want. And, yeah. and I think the more I see it and the more I've watched over the years, the more I like its kind of connection and just showing these connections. Because, yeah, these characters, there's never a scene where somebody's really described as who they are or how important they are. You just kind of start interacting and watching these interactions and seeing how they interact with people and who they interact with. And it builds this little hierarchy. Mm-hmm. You get this immediate snapshot of who's who in Nashville and why they associate with who they do. It's kind of 
you know, kind of what made me fall in love with The Wire. How it never oh, yeah. straight up tells you. You don't know why somebody's important when you see them for the first time. You don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. You just find out by watching them more and more and seeing who they interact with. And it kind of jumps you into this Nashville scene so quickly that, I don't know, I think this movie's easy to fall in love with from go. Mm. This movie just, and that's what, that's what happened to me. I it's, just fell hard yeah. for this movie. It's got yeah, it's captivating from the beginning. We are you know immediately introduced to characters in a recording studio. Oh well, I think you know, even, <laughs> even well, even the the kind the of K, the like K tail record. Uh, yeah. <laughs> instead of introing your movie with by showing the whole full twenty four list of names, you just get shouted at for like a minute. And you like get a this, preview of some of the songs. And, just every song of the movie in a three-second snippet man. with like these, but such a great annoying style of just like, see all of your favorites, like Karen Black and yeah. Alan Garfield. It's like, I'm just immediately, it feels trashy. It feels weird. Satirical. As you're hearing them sing underneath. Yeah. It's a great intro because it gets you prepped for a nonstop talking movie. There's, <laughs> there are... At minimum, four conversations going on in any scene in this movie. We cut yeah. between them. Most of the time, they just overlap. We're listening to people in the recording studio while there's three different conversations going on <laughs> yeah. of people watching them. Uh, it's This movie is chaos at yeah, times. Yeah, the, the, the first time I saw this. And, you know, still, this when we saw it all together, you know, when we saw it in the theater, uh, I am always shocked at just how much noise is yeah. happening at, in this whole movie. It is, like you said, chaos. It is, sh- I think I was shocked, you know, the first time I saw it. I had no idea what this was, where some scenes have 12 people talking to each other all at once, but they're all somehow mic'd really well. Yeah. It just doesn't, it doesn't sound just like a blur. It doesn't sound this good if you're standing in the middle of people talking at a club, mm-hmm. at, a, at a show in between bands. You can't hear a thing. You're a random word now and then. Here you're getting these perfect conversations, but it doesn't tell you who to focus on. doesn't tell you where to be listening to. And these actors don't seem to always know, you know, that they're on or off camera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just have to be. It's one of the most naturalistic movies that you'll see as far as acting. It, it almost seems like they specifically said, don't rehearse. Yeah. Like don't don't really memorize lines. We'll kind of improvise. Feel free to stumble on your words. There's just, it's such a... Well, I keep thinking of all messy these messy kind of way of having conversation that feels real. I keep thinking of these different things that this movie does that no other movie has ever done. <laughs> you know, I guess McCabe, he did a lot of cross talking in McCabe and Mrs. Yeah. Miller. That's a, I think that's but an Altman thing, that's right? That's definitely an Altman thing, but I don't think it's ever <laughs> been used like this mm-hmm. for Altman. You know, even movies like The Long Goodbye had more, you know, had some full scenes, but a lot of one-on-one interactions. This is the one-on-one interactions are the rare bit of breathing room you get. You know, they're so sparse and small compared to these others that are just yeah filled it, it, with people. It's almost shocking when there's a quiet moment. Like, yeah, oh and boy. so I think the more I watch this movie, the more I fall in love with the way he's able to just make you see and hear this thing differently, right? Make you focus on all these different things, all the people you pick up on in different viewings, mm-hmm. the way your own politics can kind of change with the movie and the way different characters can stand out in different ways. Uh, there's a lot to connect to if you want to connect to it here. Mm. And it's really easy 
this crazy thing he did. Almost every character in this movie is a cartoon. (laughs) But they feel so natural (laughs) in the way they're talking and interacting with people that these cartoons, nobody somehow seems outlandish. They all seem ridiculous if you just walked into a room. I mean, the hair alone in Nashville. If nothing else, the look and hair of everyone, the dress, the hair, the makeup, the teeth on everyone in this movie, it's just such a cool time capsule. It's incredible to look at. It almost looks like a parody. Like It would be something where they would film Licorice Pizza now and everyone would look like a caricature. Imagine Licorice Pizza if there was just like 5,000 people in Encino (laughs) in that movie, right? It would be just overwhelming. It's too much. There's so many people and you are immediately just in Nashville. I've been to Nashville. I've seen the Parthenon. (laughs) Had the hottest chicken of my life there. I saw the gross, awful uh, Branson-like downtown Mm. that I'm sure was not there in 1975. But that's the story, right? He sent his writer, Joan Tewksbury, to Nashville, and she just kept a diary of this place. Yeah, right. Yeah, I love that detail. We open with a lot of people arriving at an airport and then a huge traffic jam after a car crash. Because that's what happened when she went to Nashville. (laughs) Yeah, She arrived at the airport. She got stuck in traffic for two hours. And, so and they just build a story off of that. Like just this yeah, is these what real really scenes that happened in this in this weird American city where, you know, we've been to L.A. a lot. I've only been to Nashville once. I've been to L.A. a lot. But you see, if you're in L.A. long enough, you see how hot <laughs> above average people are and how many people are there looking like they're someone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Altman said Nashville was the same way. It was just kids getting off buses with guitars. You know, it's a different kind of going out to the city to make it. A different city to make it in. Still show business. Yeah. Right, yeah, but a different brand. Just a different brand of it. And it's still happening, right? Like, Yeah. There's a guy from uh, around here who just moved to Nashville. His name is Frankie Boots. He's going going all out. He's going to Nashville, right? (laughs) You know, Jack White went there. Yeah. It's It's still that city that's that's there, right? Country dreams. Yeah. And... When we open on, when we just start to see these hierarchies of who's important in town and who has status and who's a wannabe and so many people trying to be. Mm -hmm. This movie is right there at every step of fame and every person that wants to be noticed. And all these people want to connect in some way. I think when I saw it, when I watched it sometime during the pandemic, it was really like, yeah, it's weird just connecting with so many people. Just making a movie in the sea of all these people must have been the editing nightmare from hell. Trying to fit this together into an actual coherent movie. Yeah. And yet, here it is. (laughs) The most incoherent mess of talking and action and constant distraction that manages to have such a connection. Robbie did it. (laughs) Robbie did it. Well, it is, yeah, it is one of those where on the surface it just seems like a lot of people just talking kind of randomly. But, yeah, you're following a connection. You're following a political uh, candidate as campaigning in Nashville. Yeah. So you're following his guys as they try to connect all these musicians to get that cred for the politicians. I really connected to to Hal Philip Walker's platform more this time more than any other uh, viewing of this movie. 
they, pretty strong platform for they, 50 years m- ago. Might as well have, yeah, it's, uh, it's a very radical platform. He's, he's part of the replacement party, not even like Republican or Democrat. Can you, can you, yeah, the replacement party, a yeah. new party. But his whole platform would be, if it was in any kind of TV show now, it would be the dumbest, you know, right-wing scandal. Yeah. It would be so forced upon us because it's all tax the churches, <laughs> abolish the electoral college, you know, all these, you know, all these great about the ideas, taking anthem. on big oil, <laughs> giving ourselves a national anthem that doesn't suck. <laughs> That's like when he's six deep and he's like, and also the national anthem. It's basically like if Bar- Bernie noise. Sanders was running in, yeah. in the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> even, yeah. During, we never see this candidate. We see him off in the distance at the end of the movie. And uh, we just hear this campaign van with the loudest megaphones going around town, blaring this guy's, it's like a they live subconscious (laughs) platform, you know? That's got to be one of the most annoying things you can imagine, just (laughs) a campaign van going around your block. Instead of like the ice cream truck sound coming down the block, it's just like, I believe we should do this. Stuck next to that guy in traffic. Yeah, I love. Oh, you're going left. Of course, you're going left too. Yeah, just because I'm going left. Yeah, I love these looks at the Walker campaign without ever really seeing any inside workings of the Walker campaign, and they're just so. The presentation is so stodgy with the most bored countryman telling the platform. Nobody knows the words to the anthem. Nobody remembers them. We need a new one. Just on the freeway. Yeah. Before the internet, man, you had to get your word out there somehow, I guess. But then you're also, I also really like the presentation of the Walker campaign. Again, with a movie that has 24 characters, you can connect to so many different ones each time. You know, it's such a different thing to notice movie. And I really liked uh, the triplet, triplet character, (laughs) Michael Murphy, Mm -hmm. as the representation of the Philip Walker campaign. Because he is the kind of one outsider in Nashville who's the one guy asking questions. Everybody else is trying to blend in and be someone in Nashville. He's the one guy asking the questions you're not supposed to ask in Nashville. Like, how tall is Haven Hamilton? <laughs> yeah, he's he's trying to use the people of Nashville for yeah. his own gain. You know, yeah, they want to win Tennessee. Yeah. If it's all, it's almost primaries. a villain role. Yeah, he's almost the villain of the piece because he's trying to corporatize or politicize all these you know singer songwriters who are very adamant that they don't want to be politicized there are a lot of villains in this movie (laughs) but a lot of the villainy changes depending on who they're with the more time you spend with these people and see how they act and how they respond your your kind of sense of uh of loyalty can change you get a different idea of who they are Mm -hmm. you know haven hamilton gets He's like in our first scene recording his bicentennial anthem. He's old school. This is our old school Nashville guy singing about, yeah, we must be doing something right to last 200 years. (laughs) Yeah. The ultimate simple explanation, you know, just listing off all the hardships you've been through. This is our first big Nashville song. They open with 200 years. And the Haven character, Henry Gibson. Yeah. Oh, my God. I don't know if we've talked about Henry Gibson before, because we keep just talking about doing the burbs. Yes, I, I think we've brought him up at some point just because it's like, 
you know, like the guy in the Burbs. Is, yeah, <laughs> he our is. favorite. Dr. Klopek, I think he is. Oh, God. He is such one of the great American little weird guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love him. Just a joy whenever he shows up in anything. He did a lot of TV. He was in my beloved F Troop mm-hmm. as a recurring character. And on Laugh-In, he was, a, you know... Like the mad TV of the 60s. <laughs> really speaking to the... Yeah, speaking to the kids. Modern generation now. <laughs> By reference to another show that's been canceled for uh, two decades. Um, but Henry Gibson is such a funny entertainer. And to put him in this role as a bossy little guy, like a Paul Williams kind of character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Paul Williams is if they want five feet. Henry Gibson is if they want five five. There you go. Respectable. You know? yeah. But he's wearing his nudie suits. He's got a great, great national jumpsuits going on. He's got a great mutton chop kind of look going on. Oh, his gray mutton chops are and he's immaculate. Just, yeah, he's just kind of like the principal of Nashville. He's just, you know, making sure everyone's... He's telling people to get their hair cut, you know, that kind of thing. That's if what we, I Oh, man. If we focus, you know, uh, we're not going to, uh, are we? Uh, if we focused on every character in this movie, you know... And you just watch one and focus on them and watch what they do in scenes. You know, scenes where they're just not any part of the focus. They're mm-hmm. just there. Happen to be in the same place at the same time. Henry Gibson, the faces he makes over the course of this movie. This is, there's no leads in Nashville. But you could come away with an argument for a, <laughs> 12 of them being the lead. Depending on how you're watching it. Yeah. Henry Gibson starting off the movie with 200 years and his little different breakdowns and the way it introduces you to all this cross talking when he's asking, this guy don't take shit. <laughs> he is immediately just, no. who is this? Who is this? Who knows her? We don't want this here. Yeah. He kicks uh, Opal right out God, of the recording Opal. studio immediately from the BBC. Who she can't be from the BBC, right? <laughs> so Geraldine Chaplin, the daughter of Charlie Chaplin, yeah, which is in That's which is crazy cool. because to be the daughter of Charlie Chaplin and never shut up for a second. <laughs> That's what it was. So I was like, wait, Charlie Chaplin, I guess was British, probably, right? Because yeah, I think lived in France at she's some British, point or something, yeah. right? And Very she British. is just, you know, not every person in Nashville is going to be entertaining in a fun way. You know, people are going to be annoying to be around, and some people are going to get told they're annoying to be around. And Opal is just this kind of great, a different kind of imposter. I get the sense that she's an imposter. Oh, yeah. I think maybe. she's another person trying to find an angle to get in, you know, to immediately worm into Nashville. Not she does as a, a pretty good job of it, if that's her cover. She's in the recording studio. She's on stage at the Grand Ole Opry. She's, yeah, uh, she's talked herself into a lot of situations. She's convinced some people to get, yeah, where she's been. But we also see that Barbara Harris can kind of stumble ass backwards into every situation as well. So I'm she might be overworking. Yeah. No, I don't know if it's a tell, but Opal at one point says she's from the British Broadcasting Company. And I'm pretty sure it's corporation. Oh, so I don't know if that's a tell that she actually is a you know Doctor BS hmm. over here, but that's the kind of thing you pick up on if you watch Nashville. That's, that's what too happens many times. when you uh, don't rehearse for a scene. You <laughs> yeah. accidentally call it the company and not the. Corporation. That's what happens when you just riff. Yeah, I guess <laughs> you get people making conspiracy theories about your character, you know. But that whole Henry Gibson scene. He's usually kind of just a weird little side character. This movie presents him as 
a little mega star. He's, he's the boss. Yeah, he is. He's like, the little boss around time, the king to Barbara Jean's yeah. queen of Nashville, right? All these characters, at least the stars, had to be based on people. I don't know who mm-hmm. Haven is, but there were a lot of those, you know, sparkly nudie suit wearing Grand Ole Opry guys then. Had Roy, to be. Roy Acuff, someone like that. I know old Tommy Brown is Charlie Pride. Uh-huh. There's only so many uh, smooth black country artists from the 70s that had big hits. Yeah. There's one. And uh, Barbara Jean had to be Loretta Lynn in some way, you know. But it's she's these their own extensions, and these people are bringing a lot of improv to this. Let me tell you something I don't like is improv. <laughs> Actors trying to be improv. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For it to go have to go right for 24 people while they're acting on top of each other yeah. and cross each other, this sounds like a headache. This sounds like a terrible idea to execute. Just It would have to come off too phony. The fact that it keeps coming off as real and human as it does, again, with cartoon characters, mm-hmm. is just astounding. In 200 years, when Henry Gibson has to keep stopping his big epic, and it is an epic. Oh, yeah. His American history is detailed in poetic fashion. <laughs> All the floods, locusts, and tornadoes. <laughs> but yeah... Their Dust Bowl American history, right? I Yeah, I love this song because it's a, a very patriotic, but he's like, I've lived through two depressions, <laughs> eight droughts. He was like, yeah. times are tough. It's that anachronistic... Uh, In fact, now that I think about it, my whole life has sucked. <laughs> but damn, this is the greatest country It's on that Earth. American exceptionalism, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's We are the best as he's de- as he's like openly bragging about the sh- how he's been in the shit <laughs> <laughs> for like 50 years. And so not only is this immediately introduced as a performance movie, but it's immediately a hair movie. Because the toupee on ha- on Haven Hamilton is so epic. Mm. The swoop with the wings out the side and then his own mutton chops provided, he strikes a character when he is getting on Frog's ass. Frog's our he's our late cut. I love He didn't Frog. make the 24. I love Frog. Frog's got to be the 25th man, That's right? That's my man. This <laughs> Frog is the piano player in the opening scene who's not very good at playing piano, apparently. <laughs> He's like the session musician who's trying to get more gigs by playing every yeah. instrument at every gig. So it, this movie is also like, if you're not into like the political stuff, it's also a good like, where's Waldo for Frog? <laughs> yeah. Like You just kind of look for Frog in the background of every scene. There's a lot of Frog showing up, man. <laughs> but Henry Gibson's the one that's really referencing him by name. What's... That piano player's name again? <laughs> frog. Oh, man. Oh, he plays like a frog. You know, Pig passed away this year. The the man. the other Nashville it, session was, player. Wasn't there another player named Trout? Like, yeah, they're just there naming, was a Trout in the movie. What's going on in Nashville? We're just naming our musicians after animals? A lot of, lot of, lot of uh, amphibious. Just and, livestock to you. Yeah. Just it's using that, them up. That's Nashville, man. man. It'll eat you up. Forget about it, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, him him telling Frog to get a haircut. The That's great the, the great part is where he, he he tells Frog you you know pick it up next time, and then they do it again, and Frog messes up again, <laughs> and you and they show Frog like messing up, and then just being like, ah shit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna hear about it this time. <laughs> Insane after after that reaction shot that Frog didn't make the t- the 24. <laughs> 
Frog, technically, who's the 24th? The 24th's got to be Barbara Harris's husband. Sure. The yeah, guy who's kind of just, like, hitching up his pants and running after her around town. Yeah, Yosemite Sam. Yeah, yeah. Frog deserved the cut. Over. <laughs> Frog got bumped. But, man, when Frog hits the sour note, it does the, like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> And you, then it cuts right back to Henry Gibson, like, ripping his headphones off in the booth. God, oh, he, yeah. God he, damn it. He knew he was done. He knew he was cooked. Yeah. That's the ed- recording over. Yeah. I'm frazzled now. We're done. <laughs> oh, man. What a great, yeah. You get, you don't belong in Nashville. That's him. That's the king issuing an edict. Yeah. Little king issuing it on his way out of the studio. Yeah, but we're cutting back and forth, too, at a whole different studio recording. You know, mm-hmm. you're seeing, you're just cutting into all these different lives all at once. This whole movie is just cutting back and forth between a few different places, a few different things. Yeah, we see 200 years patriotism, white patriotism happening in one studio. <laughs> yeah. We see the gospel choir that's all black people and Lily Tomlin. <laughs> so The one question I have, I guess, is why is Lily Tomlin in the... All black Baptist choir. This I lo- whole movie. I really love uh, Lily Tomlin in this movie, and she was somehow the only one that got an Oscar nomination for a supporting uh, character. Mm. But I thought the uh, I thought Barbara Jean got one too. I think there was Golden Globes for mm. you know Karen Black, Henry Gibson, uh, Ronnie Blakely, and yeah. L- but Lily Tomlin's the only one that got uh, the Academy Award and. In a movie that doesn't tell you how good or bad a singer is, except one of our singers. Oh, yeah. And how all the actors wrote their songs and performed their songs, and they were all performed live. The perfect choice to have all the songs performed live, not just them doing the lip-synced recordings. Mm-hmm. The live performances and them at the Opry, and them at the Opry Bell Riverboat, and then in the studio, Right. And I love so many songs in these movies, even when Karen Black hits a note that's too low for her. And uh, they're raw, not perfect performances. But this is a movie that does not need perfect no. performances. Very these, on purpose. These yeah. raw, uh, rough, live with no retakes songs are the blood of this movie. That's how it would be, yeah. But Lily Tomlin's <laughs> screeching. <laughs> In that recording studio, <laughs> yeah, is tough. Like we know, Sue Ellen Gay is a bad singer. The cutest girl in Nashville. She is. I fell in love with Sue the waitress Ellen. who, yeah. is just can't hit a note. The worst timing. The worst notes. I love. I yeah. love her in this movie so much. But Lily Tomlin seems to have credibility singing with like. Is she paying like 25 black people to hang out with her in this recording studio? What she is do the we wife know? of a lawyer. She's got some money. Yeah. Yeah. Is this her making her She's not she's presented as somebody who belongs. She's not presented as a a white woman who's right. out there uninvited. But it makes more sense for her to with singing as how she did in that scene. It makes more sense for her to be paying people to to hang out with her. And record an album with her, and that happened in Nashville. Oh, that absolutely. happens today. You, sure. a, a rich parent, pays some producer 
to write and sculpt and auto-tune their kid a hit, right? Yeah. So, dude, who's the guy in our town who, who like, built a whole performance venue just for his kids? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? That just exists. a rich lawyer that, oh, that could be Lily Tomlin. <laughs> you know, she's a great, amazing, sympathetic character, but we also do see flashes of a little vanity. We see her having this very, isn't that awful, kind of conversation at a barbecue. Yeah. You know, you get cracks into this woman that no matter how noble she is with her her deaf children and how dedicated she is to and and genuine she is in her loving, you get these other hints at other parts of these people's lives. We're only seeing them for a few days. There's Mm -hmm. only so much you can go over. Well, and her husband, Ned Beatty, is a lawyer who seems to hobnob with every musical artist in yeah. town. Yeah. You can't get away from this He's guy. the local pleaser. Yeah. Right? He's he, trying to set up deals with the politician and, and uh, yeah, Michael Murphy's character. And he just always is there. He's just always inserting himself at the parties, at the local gatherings. He's got He's got to the be there venues. with the handshake, right? He's yeah. setting up deals. So just, yeah, very much the business and the music going hand in hand is, is very prevalent throughout this throughout this it's movie. It's good to see Ned Beatty in a 70s movie. Yeah. <laughs> Could yeah, just, could he, have he Ned didn't get Beatty. enough uh, work at the time. <laughs> I swear we we have seen Ned Beatty course. is the wettest boy. <laughs> <laughs> we, how many soaking wet Ned Beatty characters have we seen? Man, he nailed. Well, they always put him in like a peach colored suit too. <laughs> like what? <laughs> that doesn't help. He's always wearing poly. He's bright red. He, under any light, and then he's just, just constantly dabbing. <laughs> then he's just constantly dabbing. Some sort of man. orange and brown combo at all times. Remember how wet and sticky he looked in White Lightning? <laughs> yeah. Remember how wet he. Man, how soaked was this guy? Of course, they throw him in a white water rafting trip. Yeah. They're like, it, he's going to yeah. be wet the whole time anyway. Yeah, he's never in like a cold temperature movie. He's always in a hot movie. <laughs> yeah, he's always man. roasted. He's so somewhere. sweaty in all these movies. It always just. And even in this movie, he's somehow out. Harried by Alan Garfield. Oh yeah. Who's if if uh, Ned Beatty's setting up deals around town, Alan Garfield's just setting up deals for the the hottest act in town, and is just like, I got no time for nobody. <laughs> Every scene, just yelling over everyone. Yeah, him him is uh, Barnett. I think is Barnett. Name is. Yeah, Barnett. Barbara Jean's husband slash slash manager. manager. Maybe the single biggest asshole in the movie. Like just maybe unrelenting. A lot of running. A lot in the running. Just the guy that doesn't play the people. Somebody pleaser. murders someone. <laughs> <laughs> On purpose. Keith yeah, Ke- but that guy's a creep. He's not an asshole. Keith Carrot <laughs> Keith Carrot does some pretty soulless things over yeah. the duration, and we see a lot of them. Surprises the murderer didn't come into my lot mind of, as the worst dude in the movie. A lot, <laughs> <laughs> lot of creeps at the old uh, uh, Sue Ellen Gay smoker. It's just people you got to put up with. A lot of creeps in that donor class but for how Philip Walker to Bar- be hobnobbed Barnett goes with. out of his way to be an asshole. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, Barnett announces who he is. He uses his... Uh, yeah. But then, you know, you're and asking... Everyone your, just loves him for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you see the ways that he is kind of using Barbara Jean, but then also oh, yeah. how the ways he's doing this. It's that it sounds abusive to say, but it's also the protecting Barbara Jean. He's protecting her image and all of her, mm-hmm. you know, another collapse for it, Barbara Jean. But it feels very like Britney Spears, you know, being controlled. Yeah. Kind of a thing. It feels like 
he, he there's a very particular scene where he says bye bye to her like a little baby. Yeah, and it's just very telling. Yeah, yeah, it's, you really get that. That's really one of our major one on one glimpses. Yeah, for a movie that can be so outlandish, uh, in so many of these people, Jeff Goldblum's riding around on a tricycle doing magic the whole okay. time, joining every you know connecting everybody. I Who's gotta this? say, I I don't want to do this, but almost have to deduct points from this movie for not letting Jeff Goldblum say a single line of dialogue. <laughs> what were they doing? What what were they thinking? He gets to wear the goofy glasses. He gets to ride the yeah the Easy Rider hog around. He gets to do magic. They don't let him talk. No. Damn. This Did no got, one know? Did no one do, know right? on set that he could do what he does with with the uh, words? You know, I like a. <laughs> I love uh, Gwen Wells' voice. She's our she's our actress, actually, from Tennessee, mm. from Chattanooga, right? I love the sound of her voice. Her singing voice, however, I like how they let Sue Ellen have as many songs in this movie. More songs than old Timothy Brown from downtown. And it was clear she could not sing it all, but hey, sometimes you get no gold bloom. Sometimes you get three songs from... <laughs> Yeah. From Gwen Wells, right? Yeah, they really had to Altman's hammer... Altman's going to use some of these people. They really had to hammer home the fact that that one character was not talented. Yeah. They had to let you know several times. But I That's love... That's got to be the toughest for an actress, too, right? Like, oh, you're the untalented one in this movie. We're going to have all these people are famous country stars or aspiring stars who then have their moment of fame. You are going to be... <laughs> terrible abused and then have to kind of stand in the corner during the end well she it's about the people that that some people aren't going to make it in nashville you know no it really is that's the the story is such a a perfect way of showing you like it's the people who should be happy or unhappy the people who seemingly have it easy don't have it easy the people who are struggling and delusional she was bouncing back pretty pretty quickly yeah. That evening after some traumatic assault, <laughs> you know, she made it back all right. Yeah, she got back into her, her dream head there. But, you know, you get to see a lot of, there's a lot of fragility on display. Mm. Uh, it does not get more fragile than Barbara Jean. That is one of the most touching, sad characters in a movie. I love Barbara Jean so much. Ronnie Blakely is amazing in this movie. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a, a hammy required performance in elm street you know she's hiding vodka in the towel closet and you know her face is so painted on and well here she's just we open up and she's like coming out of a burn unit this woman is just bad luck this yeah you know a star that's you know beset by medical unexplained medical maladies she's basically and bad kind luck. of dying the entire movie yes like, yeah we're watching someone on the decline physically mentally uh, yeah, but but she's the big star in Nashville. Yeah, she's still the big. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, knowing that this woman was the same woman as the mom in Nightmare on Elm Street, I'm just like, yeah, well, she's so amazing. She, I, I, she's maybe one of my favorites. She's incredible. I thought she, she's my favorite performance. I mean, her, I thought her singing she, was amazing. The songs that she did were some of my favorite, and I felt like she was, yeah, the one that was the the most heartbreaking. It's a tragic kind of character. It's a tragic character. Yeah. It's it's a real sad look into a real mega star's life, you know, and how it could turn out this way. You know, there is a lot of big stars that, geez, look at uh, 
uh, Wizard of Oz. You know, Judy Garland right. had, it, had it worse off than Barbara Jean. Or you, you just know? get more isolated as the bigger you get. You know, it's like I heard this one story about a guy who was trying to meet Bob Dylan backstage and he kept going into smaller rooms with less people and then a smaller room with less people and then <laughs> yeah. finally a room with Bob Dylan alone. You know, yeah. it's like such a, you think it's this great party life until you're that person who's expected, you know, the, there's a very telling scene where Barbara Jean is just gotten out of the hospital performing for these people on a you know on a boat or something yeah and she's clearly having a problem yeah and the crowd is booing her like while she's suffering and it's just like a these ungrateful (laughs) right these ingrates fans what have you done for me lately these this relationship with fame and these how much how easier it is now to get these parasocial relationships but back then you know you would see these celebrities in town you know, the country music, Nashville, these people lived there and, mm-hmm. you know, lived in town, right? And just seeing the whole damn city turn out just for Barbara Jean's return to Nashville from the burn unit. <laughs> you know, you're getting this full airport and you're kind of getting introduced to people that you don't know. You don't even really know who the 24 characters are. You don't know if an extra is a character yet. You're just seeing shots where seven people that you later learn are who they are, right? right. Yeah. But they're all there kind of seeing Barbara Jean. So you really get this immediate sense of how big she is. But, you know, I heard this story about, I think it was Norm MacDonald talked about whenever he met Bill Clinton, hmm. like he performed at the big correspondence dinner kind of thing. And Bill Clinton would go up to like every guy in the room and just say something different to him. Like he's just got a million of them lined up right just to keep your certain prepare and he came to norm mcdonald who was like eating a pickle <laughs> and he just like before you know it you shook hands with you know barbara jean basically and clinton says i see you have a pickle <laughs> and then he's on to like the next dude before you're even like and you see this all the time in the movie you see connie white arriving at the opry and four people talking to her all at once and her just going that's great mm-hmm. that is so great with like Eyes checking, like, where she can, like, okay, well, you you stay in school, like, whether it applies or not, you know? Mm-hmm. And Barbara Jean has all these little, like, it's like she's a character, you know? She goes to the podium. She takes her flowers. She's wearing her, you know, very, always wearing these great white gowns. God, she always looked amazing. Mm-hmm. Talk about hair in this movie. The blowback dues that, that Karen Black and... They look like wigs. Right. They, they don't look real. Everybody looks like they're I don't in a know wig how, in this, right? How women did that hair back then? Only a today. couple of them are doing wigs. Yeah. One keeps it hidden. You see you see at the end Hayden's blows off <laughs> after he gets shot. And uh it falls on Keith Carradine. Oh god. But uh yeah, just this big arrival in town with total chaos and her saying these lines like thanking the high school band and like I swear you get better every year. Like she's been saying this stuff for mm-hmm. decades at these kind of things, right? She's got the root, the Barbara Jean routine down. And, you know, we find out through watching her in this, just she's been working, working all her life. Like you said, Britney Spears, you know, these child actors, they're starting at six. She records a 45 at the age of nine or whatever. And then right. thinks she's been pretty much working ever since. And, you know, I like that they don't say the age of anybody. You don't get the sense of, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Ronnie Blakely was probably only 30, but you don't really know if she's 30, 40, 
late, you know, she's just been working. And from her being so receptive and wanting to meet her fans and that weird kind of hollowness she can sometimes show in these scenes, and then the big collapse, man, I thought she was amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> there aren't many horror movies that are better than it. She's a great drunk mom. But it's such a 80s horror performance that you could have seen as any... Who would have known if you only knew her mm-hmm. as Nancy's mom, right? That she's capable of this. Exactly. The emotions that you have to have to pull off performance. You know, Henry Gibson has a lot of flair and is a the great voice. I love his voice and his delivery and his facials and all of his physical comedy is the best of anyone in the movie. But when you but when you actually see him perform in the songs, there's other people that are just more captivating entertainers. Yeah, he's actually pretty stiff whenever yeah. he's doing the songs. Yeah, maybe he's on got purpose. good delivery, good yeah. timing, good good timbre. But he's you know the most he'll do is kind of walk around on stage a yeah. bit. The ultimate stiff is is old Tommy Brown. Yeah, Tommy Brown does not liven up a crowd. Not quite accepted in Nashville is Tommy a- Brown. I, I found him to be a very deceivingly complicated character because he doesn't really get that much to do. He's the token black guy in Nashville. Yeah. He gets called out by the other black guy, Wade, I think it is. Uh, yeah, Wade does not hesitate. The first time he... Wade doesn't like Tommy, thinks he's the white guy, you know, uh, or trying to please the white people. And mm-hmm. man, that's <laughs> that's such a like... You could just put Will Smith in that role today oh, of or something, right? Like that that, that conflict... That he has, and there's a very telling scene where Tommy is not singing in the in the choir at church. Right. We see Haven singing in the choir. We see everyone in their church. Of course, Lily Tomlin's there. And, but even, Lily, Lily even, Tomlin's in the choir. Tommy's sitting. Even Sue Lee is in her choir. Yeah. <laughs> and Tommy Brown's sitting right next to the choir, just in, in the pew with his wife. Yeah. Well, you also get like these... he doesn't even like perform. He's just you know he found something he can make some money at, but. There was this great uh, hinted at scene of of how Tommy Brown's perceived outside of Nashville, and you definitely really get the sense that he's the guy who is from Nashville, but he's the bigger star in places that don't know what he looks like Mm. (laughs) still, because when the traffic pileup happens, first off, for the traffic pileup, is that the greatest four-car pullout scene in a movie? What a botch job, man. This movie has so many asshole driver moves in it. <laughs> it's such a great like microcosm of like, yeah, living in a city is basically fighting with people, getting from point A to point B anytime you're out there. I f- yeah. I, I Four really, guys trying to pull out of the parking lot at once. That was like a bit of an Abbott and Costello looking sketch. I really there. loved it this time. That That's this joke that I probably haven't, who knows if I've even noticed or talked about it all before, but watching it this time, it's this great kind of synopsis of the whole movie, how this whole movie's been chaos. Now people are just running to get out of the airport. You know, Barbara Jean had a collapse. The people are freaking out about that. And you get this one brief moment of four cars kind of perfectly in sync, backing out of their spots at the exact, like a weird Stepford Wives mm-hmm. kind of thing, right? It could have gone so smooth. Yeah, you get Keith Carradine backing out with three stewardesses <laughs> in one of their cars. <laughs> you get Shelley Duvall backing out with her with Keenan Wynn. God, Shelley Duvall in this opening scene. 
with her platform boots looking six foot five. What a dish. What a clown. Oh, I loved her. (laughs) I didn't. uh, I recently saw Pearl in theaters. I realized, oh, Mia Goth's just making Shelley Duvall face. Oh. The entire time. That makes sense. That's it. Yeah. Shelley Duvall's a Texan. She just ripped Shelley Duvall because Shelley Duvall just acts like Mia Goth. <laughs> this whole movie, and she's great. But yeah, you get these four cars, some of our main characters all backing out. And then the everyone takes the worst instinct <laughs> to, to pull forward. Yeah. Like the third car in just jumps the gun. Can't wait. Can't Nobody wait for can the wait. Other people. Yeah. That, that, yeah. <laughs> Nobody can wait for anything in this movie until there's a four, you know, six car pile up, and then you're all stuck in traffic, and you immediately break out the booze and the ice cream and the dude. Guys were they, in their shirts with open beers within minutes the, of this the, accident. The traffic stop turning into a block party is like <laughs> that is like a fantasy. Yeah, like, that doesn't happen. What a crazy, but silly man, way to meet all these. How characters. cool would our country be if people could just yeah start up a barbecue while they're stuck in traffic? Well, yeah. So you're meeting all these different people, meeting other people. Barbara Harris escapes with the most ungraceful uh, getaway possible. Barbara Harris is just running through this movie in hot pants or short skirts and heels, yeah, stumbling her way. That was the weirdest one. The, the wife who wants to be a star. They seem to already live in Nashville. She wants to be a country star, but her well, her elder f- husband doesn't. Uh, her stage doesn't name is Albuquerque, okay. so I'm assuming they were they pass. Can- I'm assuming she tricked her husband into going on a trip to Nashville, and it was her plan to run the hell away from her old farmer, dirt farmer <laughs> husband Herb. That's my that's my takeaway from these. That people. That makes sense. That makes sense because yeah, then he's just trolling the bars afterwards, or the, or the Grand Ole Opry. <laughs> yeah, looking through the crowd, he's basically going into movie theaters with a flashlight, looking for. Uh... It's so funny. It's like she calls herself all these people with their new identities, right? <laughs> yeah. Because when she's calling herself Albuquerque, and he sees her in a bar, and goes Winifred, <laughs> old Winifred from Albuquerque, but Opal during this. <laughs> You know, everybody's flipping out during this uh, car accident scene in their own way. Henry Gibson gets out his umbrella, his son oh, yeah. umbrella in the car. What a god. <laughs> uh, one guy with a mysterious uh, violin case has a lot of Hal Philip Walker paraphernalia in the back seat of his car. And also he's sweaty and sh- shifty eyed. Yeah. Uh, but... a, y- a young Stephen King. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Carrying a violin case around. <laughs> yes. Dead Young ringer. Stephen. 70s wow. Stephen King. Yes. <laughs> but so I, I'm already starting to get the sense that Opal's just a, a BSer. The way she's BSing her way through the recording studio and kind of acting like she knows people that it doesn't seem like she knows. Mm. Watching how she acts in the uh, the car accident and trying to find the right, like, oh, the humanity, but the humanity kind of uh, connection. And the way she reacts to Lily Tomlin's kids being deaf. <laughs> yeah. That is the, just like, oh, God, no. Oh. Oh, it's so sad. And Lily Tomlin's like, no, it's fine. They're, they're, you should meet them. Great. Oh, God, I couldn't. Oh, but it's just so sad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the way she, so this is where I noticed her BSing about the BBC when she lies her way onto Tommy Brown's bus. Mm. And what I noticed this time is she clearly doesn't know Tommy Brown is black. Because she's making a big deal about how progressive he is for hiring, like, all black people without outright saying it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, one of his guys is like, yeah, he's 
pretty liberal, I guess. Like she has no idea. She's only heard his records, right? And as yeah, uh, yeah. as Wade calls him, an Oreo. <laughs> We're getting to see how he's thought of in Nashville. Well, that 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 would make sense then. Why in that scene with the van where she's introduced to Tommy Brown's wife, she takes three beats, and then is like, "Ah, Mrs. Brown, okay." Yeah. But she's, we still don't know if she's getting it or if she's still just the person pretending uh, to know, pretending to belong yeah. there. And really seeing, like you said, kind of a, kind of a sad, unheralded character. Uh, I got the sense that he is a big star. Charlie Pride was a huge star. And of course he's in the Country Music Hall of Fame. Mm. I probably had 30 or... He had as many hits as, you know, George Jones or any of those huge stars. But... It would not be shocking to learn that Charlie Pride was not respected the same way in yeah, yeah. town as any other of the white performers, right? But so he doesn't really get a lot of lot to say, a lot to, of statements to make. He gets one of the only performances in the movie that kind of bombs. <laughs> Sue yeah. Ellen kind of saves hers by by showing her jugs. <laughs> Tommy Brown just gets iced out of the Opry. He's the opening act. Even though he just got back from a big tour, uh huh. Even says something to Haven, just like, like how dead the crowd is, and he's like, "Well, lucky to be alive." <laughs> Before, <laughs> and that Haven, was a shit song, though. The uh, you know, bluebirds, Tommy Brown song where he's quoting Wizard of Oz, yeah, talking about bluebirds. That was <laughs> that song was dead. Well, Tommy's got no confidence. Like, right? Tommy the whole time is looking like a guy who's. Just collecting the check. And so wa- watching him through this movie this time, yeah, he's definitely seeming like just the guy that kind of, he doesn't belong in Nashville anymore. He's either outgrown it, but it's also his home, and you got to pay that kind of respect to your home or else you lose mm. this other. So he's always to the edge of all these scenes. He's never the one at these clubs that gets invited, you know, the big star invited up to sing. He's the one that gets run out of another club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's the one sitting at the edge of his church instead of, like you said, in the choir. Uh, at the Parthenon scene for Philip Walker, he's the guy that's another token black guy. There, you know, they're again off to the side. The he's that's the reason he's invited. So he is this kind of marginal character, but also that's that's his character. That's who he is returning mm-hmm. to Nashville. So yeah, I'll, when you get up to. <laughs> Suleen Gay's immediate confidence. When a guy like Tommy Brown has no confidence, and Suleen Gay's performances in front of her mirror are too confident, in front of strangers in her coffee shop are too confident. It hurts. It hurts. And then Tommy Brown's the guy, he's, like you said, the big star who's still unhappy. Mm -hmm. There's a sadness to, to Tommy Brown that isn't there with Sue Ellen Gay. And it's it's a really interesting look at all of these characters and how sweet a character can be when she's singing that, let me be the one. Man. It almost seems like in this movie, yeah, the, the, the fame and the happiness is an inverse. Like, all the happiest <laughs> sure. people are the nobodies. And then all the people, yeah, like Barbara Jean or Tommy or... Oh, you know. no. Haven and Connie White seem pretty happy. Even Hamilton seems to be on the upswing. Connie White, uh, the Karen Black character, right? Yeah. She is 
full of rage. <laughs> Did you not? Have you not picked she up is the rage? Seething. She is not happy about being second banana to Barbara Jean. Yeah, she is. She's the way- one who replaces Barbara Jean at the Ole Opry. When she, she never. Barbara Jean never performs on the same stage yeah. as Connie White, but Connie White can replace Barbara Jean. Yeah. If Barbara Jean doesn't appear, then Connie White's a fill-in. Connie White is the one character who is actively like she does not accept the gift from Barbara Jean's oh, husband. Man. She is cold to people. She that is cold. She is her not pretending to not be to a notice a, bit of a bitch. the gift is bitchy. Yeah, but also there's a lot of really funny jokes. I think in this movie without people being overtly funny. The the interaction after their Grand Ole Opry shows of it. One other thing about the Opry. When you said Tommy Brown, like, this is a dead crowd, it's a dead song. But then you see Henry Gibson go out there with no more energy than Tommy <laughs> Brown had. And these people are clapping within four seconds of a, yeah. of a Haven Hamilton tune. Yeah. And it's a slow burner for the sake of the children. Whew. He starts with a slow jam. That's not a good song either. <laughs> <laughs> My band used to play that in the, college. The, uh... <laughs> Yeah, the, the we have to break up for the for the sake of the children. Yeah, we have to stop Oof. our torrid love affair because I got kids, three of them. There's We're doing this for the kids, Jimmy baby. And Katie, <laughs> and the people are into it though. They're singing, they're swaying, yeah. they're into it. By the time he's keep it going, boom, he's got them hooked. He woke up that dead crowd, right? Keep them going's good. Yeah, and then Karen Black's songs were great. God, I, hers were and good. the here that she wrote her, those songs. Yeah. That, She's an entertainer. That was one of the more yeah interesting things about this whole movie is knowing that uh, yeah Ronnie Blakely wrote the, the song she you know some of the songs she sang yeah she actually was like a songwriter before they had her as well an yeah actor. they were gonna they were gonna use just her songs having Keith Carradine write those songs that he yeah and then Karen Black but for Karen Black and she's the one that comes into this movie you think at the time. Compared to the other stars that had been in Altman movies, you know, Elliot Gould was in The Long Goodbye a year or two before, right? And Julie Christie was in right. uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, right? Warren Beatty. Like, those are stars. Karen Black's probably the biggest star in this, of the 24 people, right? Of, of 1975. Mm-hmm. And so I like that Connie White comes on with the biggest hair. <laughs> Dressed like the, a prom queen. Uh-huh. Her red outfits are astounding. Karen Black looks amazing. She looks so good in in this movie. And her performances are great. Yeah, so you see Hayden kind of just doing a little foot stomping. Karen Black gives a toothy, a lot of toothy performances in this movie. What's going on with the teeth in the second? (laughs) This movie is a teeth movie. So many of these people. Carradine, Karen Black. I mean, the Carradine Carradine uh, family has been... Ronnie Blakely... all of them have the biggest teeth I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's there insane. is some teeth in this flick. Ronnie Blakely, especially, I love her teeth, man. I love her <laughs> mouth because we get a lot of close-up zooms on her because you yeah. are just waiting for her to faint every second of her performances. <laughs> and she is so toothy. Karen Black can really, she has a big mouth, so she can really open her mouth on these songs. Shelley Duvall. Famous for the oh, teeth, Duvall, right? Duvall, of course. <laughs> you don't yeah. get many more famous chompers than Shelley Duvall. But yeah, teeth right. The Carradine. Lily Tomlin. Lily Tomlin's got She's some got teeth. got a jaw on her. 
<laughs> the Carradines are infamous for having the teeth. That old Carradine, fa- David Carradine. It's insane. The snaggle tooth on him, man. Oh my god, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, one after another. <laughs> They're also toothy. <laughs> oh, I love Gwen Wells' teeth in this movie. Sue Ellen's teeth are great. Her big red hair is so good. I could not pick my favorite hair in this. That'd be the hardest thing. Oh no! Don't who, make don't make me do it. Who are, who is your favorite twenty four performances, top to bottom? <laughs> no. Uh, so yeah, just the Karen Black performance. The way she growl. I love when she hits that sour note early in Memphis. Mm-hmm. The low growl. But I also love how you see. Barbara Jean delivering kind of dud lines, but always to like applause. And Hayden acting as her kind of hype man. Hayden is such an ass to the frogs of the world. Yeah. Even though he did request pig. <laughs> but his genuine adoration for Barbara Jean, that, that was this like really sincere, that's what broke him at the end. That's mm-hmm. what kind of made him break character at the end. He really cared about Barbara Jean. So whenever it would cut to him kind of acting as her applause sign in a lot of these public events, so she was getting clapped at for like, my granddaddy used to say that all these kind of pat country lines, right? And then Karen Black's doing those lines, and they are dying. (laughs) Yeah, it is kind of weird how during the performances, things will go real quiet in between the songs. And it's like, we're yeah, we're watching this in real time. You The choice to do these, again, live. Mm-hmm. These are really, this is Karen Black. This is Henry Gibson. These are these performing in a full Opry. Yeah. Right? With, I'm sure, the guys who performed at the Opry every night. Like, those guys. Oh, that crack band? Sitting on the hay bales, playing their guitar. Like, those were the guys. We could do, we could do a series of podcasts highlighting each one of their hair. Yeah. Just nothing but hair in this. And the flip. scene after the opera with the the guy in the fiddle, you're like, that's definitely a real dude. Yeah, that's just... that's Vassar Clements. Yeah, that's, that's a, a dude. famous local. Yeah, Pig was the famous local session pianist. You know, the Country Music Hall of Fame guy playing on thousands of recordings. Mm. And uh, there's Karen Black just on stage at the full Opry, just bombing with crowd work. <laughs> it's like a Simpsons joke. When she says, you know, she's doing that cheesy, like, in any one of you could grow up to be president. And there's one kid that's like. (laughs) There's a kid in the back that tries to get the applause started. (laughs) Not going to happen. This is a crowd that was reacted well to candy ads. This was the Goo Goo yeah. Clusters ad went over with a lot of polite like that's it, nice. It's good. And then Karen Black's just out here just signing autographs and like pretty this weather right and they're just like Ugh. that's such a that's a reoccurring thing in this movie throughout. Like the crowd is not into anything that's real. They just want the song or the ad or you know anything that's part of the show. Yeah, that's what they react to. And anytime any of these performers tries to be even close to a real person. It's just like crickets. Yeah. Or outright dead. booze. They or just wa- people like, get the fuck out of here. Well, you see these, you know, our I guess our main character that represents that is John Glenn as the Barbara Jean, like, obsessive. One of our other major... Scott Glenn? Ma- Scott Glenn, sorry. Yeah, too, yeah you uh, astronaut <laughs> John Glenn. Too many names Crazy stunt movie. caster. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they got him. They got him. I thought Buzz Aldrin in this movie could get Armstrong a little handy. Get Glenn. Uh, Yeah, Armstrong can't act out of a bag. (laughs) Um, Scott Glenn, young Scott Glenn, 
same haircut he's had all his life. And uh, he's one of our main murder guys. The one that's like, nah, he could be he could be the Oswald. He's a suspicious character. This movie talks about the Kennedys so much. You know somebody's yeah. getting getting shot at the end. Nobody says assassination, but with all the political talk and all the Kennedy talk, somebody's going down, and there's a couple of, couple of creep suspects. I got to think by 1975, I would be so over people talking about Kennedy. Man. I'd be like, it's 13 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a... Move on, lady. <laughs> mildly uh, important of cultural no, shift in history. People still are, are invoking 9-11. Oh, you know, we're way deeper past that. I, I worked in Manhattan a couple times at hotels doing that, those shows I did. And the local guys, that's all they talked about. Yeah. All day. All they talked about was 9-11 and what, where they were, their experience. Ten years later, no one brought it up. They just started talking about you're it. Looking, you're looking, you know, at Nashville, this microcosm, this hierarchy of the genuine big stars. Like, uh, you, again, you notice Tommy Brown doesn't get mobbed ever in public. He's never getting the autograph requests. Henry Gibson is legitimately getting mobbed. Connie White, you know, she's getting mobbed. Barbara Jean, it, it, people are filling hallways just to look at her. You know, she's fragile, but you can see she's royalty mm-hmm. to a lot of the, the real people. So you're getting a sense of this hierarchy in Nashville and this Kennedy assassination, how it affected so many people globally. But, you know, every town has its own tragedy. Mm-hmm. Every town has its own thing that, that was their bad incident, right? Some of them just resonated more nationwide. And so we're seeing this weekend of an event that leads to what's going to be Nashville's tragedy, right? You know, if Loretta Lynn had been shot, you know, on stage at the Grand Ole Opry, yeah, that would haunt Nashville. Or they would just have to pick up and keep it going. <laughs> They'd have to make that choice, you know? But... Kennedy, that was America's thing. And so people are still just not shutting up. (laughs) Pearl won't shut up about the Kennedys. But while when by the time we're starting to blend even deeper into real life at Haven Hamilton's (laughs) little cabin party, Mm -hmm. man, let me tell you, when Elliot Gould shows up as Elliot Gould, that's the kind of Altman bullshit I love. (laughs) I love that. Imagine if Kubrick was having like his boys show up, just like yeah, I'm in town. Uh, oh, my buddy uh, Bobby. I, I assume Robert Altman to his friends was like Bobby. Bobby had to be Bobby. Had to be right. Uh, yeah, Bobby shooting a film. I'm gonna go over there, be myself for a little while. <laughs> just him. What the limo Raising guy Norman asks him, uh, "What what is Elliot Gould doing in Nashville? I'm just going to a party. Yeah. What, are you, what are you doing in Nashville? <laughs> Elliot Gould is such a great Elliot Gould." In this. <laughs> He's one of the best. One Elliot of the Goulds. best Elliot Goulds here. <laughs> when, <laughs> when you're acting around such people like Haven, always just, I don't think I've ever seen more milk drinking on screen. <laughs> the amount of milk Hen- Haven guzzles. I was trying to figure out what their drinks were throughout the movie because, yeah, a lot of them look like they're sipping on mint juleps mm-hmm. or something. But, yeah, Haven's always had the uh, just straight up glass milk. of milk. Milk while wearing his suit and his and his tube. And, man, when Elliot, <laughs> when people start talking about Elliot Gould being at the party, and Haven goes, oh, Elliot Gould with the curly hair. <laughs> 
the way that these fake celebrities blended in with not just real people in Nashville, but once they started interacting with other celebrities as celebrities, it just takes it so far yeah. into my zone. I loved this. You know, I loved the vibe of all of this. And Elliot Gould just shambling into scene with his back hair. Looking like John Shuck. Looking with his big... He's got the full hippie uh, outfit going on. God, what a life. Yeah. If I could be like three years in an act, just give me give me Gould at any point in the 70s. Yeah, the, the, the bit in that party where Ned Beatty's like, I just shook his hand like is anybody else. Like, <laughs> in, kind of embarrassed and shamed that he didn't know who Elliot Gould was and yeah. being all apologetic and stuff. Oh, hey, man, I'm just like you. So perfect. Yeah, imagine just Seth Rogen being at the same party as you. Yeah. How, how people would respond. There'd be tons of people not being cool if you were if some guy that people knew happened to show up somewhere like that, right? And <laughs> I think my favorite line in the movie might be Elliot Gould's. That, see, I mean, God, what mm-hmm. a grin. That's the <laughs> face that I want. Haven so perfect. Haven dealing with every real celebrity is gold. When he's having Opal kicked the fuck out yeah. again, again, this woman is just haunting him, and he's still not really recognizing her. It's like Mr. Burns in Homer. Oh, yeah. Who is this guy? Who's this woman in the hat? Does somebody know her? But when he's like just doing the, no, no, that's good. That's good. Farther away. <laughs> and he says something like uh, when he's, I will not handle this rudeness in the presence of a star. Two. Stars. <laughs> Correct. Ad- jumping into yeah. his own association. <laughs> but when he tells Elliot Gould that, you know, the whole movie, you could sum up by saying that's the price of success. But you didn't need to have Elliot Gould with the great talking teeth, man. Mm-hmm. You talking teeth? Elliot Gould's smile when he hits. It certainly is. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a, like, you're expecting the Warner Brothers logo to, like, come out, you yeah. know? It's such a cartoon. It really is. It's like, they, it's 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 almost Elliot Gould being like, I, I bet you don't keep this take. I bet, you know. Yeah. yeah I just showed up in Nashville. I've completely I completely dropped the uh, veneer that I'm supposed to be here for a party. I'm just <laughs> laughing in front of my I'm friends. I'm just goofing my way through these people. It's yeah. like Cassavetti's, you know, those scenes that you get the sense are like, oh, Peter Fox trying to bust this guy up. Yeah, the the take ended up making it. Right. You know, how, how bad were they dying at the ben, at uh, killing of a Chinese bookie phone booth scene? You, no <laughs> sure. way people watching him spell out the Paris number to Teddy wasn't making everyone die. Well, that's why I got to assume, like, they probably didn't tell Elliot Gould to do anything. They yeah. just said, be- show up. We're going to have some people interact with you. Be yourself. <laughs> and I think it worked really well with Elliot Gould. And he got to play off everyone. And then they asked Julie Christie to do the same thing. <laughs> and she didn't know what to do at all. Julie Christie froze in her scene. So Just come into the club. We're going to introduce you to a few characters. Tell them you can't stay because you're doing something else. And they'll be, you know, they'll be polite. And <laughs> Julie Christie just kind of stands there like, ah, yes. Very good then. Well. Well, I mean, how uh... much of that is, how much is she just, how much is that? The celebrity that she might have been waylaid and taken over to meet these people that she didn't know. Yeah. And they're they don't they're not treating her with movie star respect. So she's just kinda like doing the Okay, well <laughs> I get I meet these kind of people every she day. Really had, she had yeah, she just had nothing to, to say. To and meanwhile, anyone. Elliot Gould's just kinda wearing sunglasses to a to a cookout. Yeah. But 
So there's a line when he shows up and gets out of his, you know, limo and he's walking into the party. And Gould says, like, sure got a lot of photographers here. <laughs> it's just like, is Altman just like, yeah, we're doing a thing at yeah. the uh, out of the cabin. You should just swing by if you're uh, if you're flying over this way. Mm-hmm. And he shows up going, fucking Altman. <laughs> Getting free labor out of me after I did. I've done like two movies. Yeah. I've done like two this in the last three years for this guy. I'm... Hey, that's the price for but fame. Dude, if if Henry Gibson and Elliot Gould also I love I love the fact that Gibson is does not care that he's five five. There's no box standing for this guy. Mm-hmm. He's a short king around town. He struts right he's not wearing big high heels. He just struts out in his little oh, yeah. little sensible heels <laughs> on his suit, right? I love that they'll shoot a scene that looks as ridiculous as him standing next to Elliot Gould. <laughs> yeah two different pillars of success right and two, two, stars. Stars, two stars two stars and that kind of stardom you know the price of success is offset by barbara jean after another collapse laid up in the hospital painting her nails having to listen to connie white you know and having another kind of flip out mm-hmm. you said that scene seems sad there's a lot of uh just a lot of emotion running through the Barbara Jean character. It's such a powerful performance. It's such a losing connection with reality and everything. It's a mental break. Oh yeah, it's a she, set. She's she's the star who's tired. You know, there's a very like quick little just like I'm tired of this place kind of line that she says. It's yeah. very like she's just done. Right. She Can doesn't. You- she doesn't need the fame anymore. She doesn't want to be a part of the drama anymore. You know, you get the sense that everything is just every. You know, there's a very cynical vibe to a lot of this movie. Yeah, fame. Like, uh, these are people pretending to like each other so that they can get their piece of the pie, and she's she's done trying to chase that rabbit. You know, well, that's why you know when you see these different what level of fake relationship you get and what level. That's why Haven is such a phony to some of these people mm-hmm. and some of them he doesn't even have enough respect to even pretend he's interested the way he talks with Elliot Gould and you know says oh yeah with the hair but he's talking with him because he likes being associated with a star Julie Christie he does not give a shit <laughs> he doesn't about yeah he goes through such a funny show maybe my favorite interaction in the movie is him and Karen Black in this scene Karen Black is perfect mm-hmm. when haven hamilton basically big times julie christie with a local nashville kind of humor you can tell that's what he's doing the way he is in the most half acid way going through oh and when you f- find time for nashville filmmaking and just like let me just talk until she goes mm-hmm. and but the way that Karen Black has no idea who she is. <laughs> she ain't watching Shampoo. She's not watching McCabe and Mrs. Miller. She didn't see Darling. Yeah. You know, she doesn't care. The way she's laughing at Henry Gibson continuing to just be a bitch about her. What does he say? Something? Well, <laughs> Karen Black just goes after Julie Christie's come and said hello and then left. And uh, yeah, Karen Black's just like, who is Julie Christie? And yeah. he's like, oh no, she's a big star. She's won those Academy Award. A, the laugh, the toothy laugh and that Karen like, Black does when she says, you don't know Julie Christie? She won an Academy <laughs> Award. She, The way she bursts out laughing like she's waiting. That just yeah. seems like him cracking people up on a set. 
And people are, he knows his crowds, man. Henry Gibson, Haven knows his crowds, right? And the way he already got the laugh, he already killed her. And he's still going like, no, I don't know what movie it was from, but (laughs) she does so many. It had to be a good, you know, he is just continuing the gag. And she's even pointing it out like, he's so, he's bad. He's bad. He's so bad. But the second Connie White, you see the, I'm talking hierarchy. When Connie White gets called up on stage and, and he does the little like butt lift out of his chair when he, we got a celebrity in in the audience tonight. He's he's <laughs> shifting up before him, but then he's like, yeah, all right, of course. He, Connie, he knows yeah. exactly the line to walk in every scene, which I think makes his. He does kiss Barbara Jean's ass, but when the chips are down and the bullets are shot. Like his, he was not worrying about his hair. He was not worrying about his wound. He was only worried about Barbara Jean. So, yeah, you get, if you're a person like her who grew up as a child actor, you know, or a child star, and those people are out there. And maybe we don't know Haven's background. He's now a, an aspiring politician, right? He's spent his whole life saying the right things, but. Mm-hmm. When we can see that he does care about someone, some other person that he identifies with. It's all about who you identify with. Chases, changes everybody's tone in this movie. Keith Carradine has this accusatory line early when he at the airport and he sees Scott Glenn and, uh, you know, killed anybody today. This guy is the biggest asshole yeah. throughout this whole, the most consistent just selfish jerk keith carradine is the real piece of shit (laughs) yeah he is just the the man whore who's sleeps with basically every woman in the film and uh just uses people yeah you know and his first taste of fame he is wrecking everything he puts on such a an air of nice guy emotional you know love song writer but He's, oh, his, he's a manipulator, dude, you know? His, the fact that I'm Easy won the Oscar for, like, oh, best man. song, it is That's pretty such cool. a shit-eating, like, his whole song about just, like, I'm just a, a little guy. I'm just waiting for some I'm woman easy. to love me. Just hey. be honest with me, and I'll love you. And meanwhile, he's not honest with anybody. Yeah, yeah. he is the biggest liar, yeah. the biggest sneak. Doesn't well, try and hide it at all. And then to think that he wrote that song before this movie existed, and then Altman turns it into this kind of deceptive, makes it this whole character thing. Yeah, you love that. There was, you know, that song appears on the Nashville soundtrack as well as uh, "It Don't Worry Me." Those mm-hmm. were his two big compositions. But he also put an album out, you know, a couple albums at least. And "I'm Easy" was the title track of that album. But hearing it with 12 other tracks that sound like that is awful. <laughs> <laughs> it's awful to hear that. Within the context of his character in Nashville, it's so much more fascinating than just a guy making, trying to be a James Taylor mm-hmm. type, right? So much more interesting to him. Like, not only am I going solo after my band releases one album. But I have already destroyed the band and the marriage of the band. Yeah. Before I announce I'm going solo, like he, he fully Fleetwood Mac the whole thing. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. Big I, time. Uh, 
yeah, I uh, it gives it such more depth to know that like he is just torching bridges yeah. everywhere he goes, right? But then all his songs are just like, hey, I'm just here. I'm easy. I'm easy. I'm I'm keeping it simple. I'm, I'm not just... I'm not the kind of guy that runs around on you. <laughs> You're cool he's with just, me. I'm cool with you. He is just taking numbers and calling and up just... women in the in the presence of other women. He's and... calling up women as the other women are dressing to leave. Yeah. Yeah, really just immediately (laughs) leaning into these excesses. Uh, Two notes on the I'm Easy. I watched a couple of videos on YouTube. One of Keith Carradine accepting the Academy Award. Oh, I've never seen this. you got to watch because it's so great because he is in the back somewhere. Like uh, It's Burt Bacharach and Angie Dickinson announcing the award. (laughs) Nice. Uh, He's in the back. He runs up the side. The spotlights are looking for him. And then he thanks Altman. He thanks, uh, you know, Frog. Who has ended up being the uh, <laughs> the musical arranger supervisor sure. on the movie? He turned all these lyrics into Nashville sounding. And then songs. he thanks his mom and dad, and he's like, "Thanks, dad." And John Carradine, like eighty years old, is in the crowd, yeah, raising his fist. It's so good. Second, don't watch the share cover of "I'm Easy" <laughs> from the eighties. No. Not good. <laughs> Not a. She's dressed in like some kind of uh, folded sheet and uh, singing "I'm Easy." As if it's like a genuine just love song. 80s Cher needs to just and do hot, cool babe songs. It was, uh, yeah. Not, not simple, mess. like, AM gold <laughs> folk songs. Couldn't get through it. I don't want to hear... Carradine's version's much better. <laughs> wow. Oh, John Carradine seeing his son win an Oscar, right? huh? Like, that was... And, and that moment is, like, that's what Nashville is so good at, is just giving you these raw human moments to connect to. Yeah. Where you don't need to have to... You don't need to have to have the thing spelled out for you. You know, at the end of the movie, watching it the first time over the weekend on the big screen, you know, a couple of tears fall at the end. You just feel the swell of emotion. You're not sad or, or grieving or, or, you know, traumatized by what we've seen. You, you're just connecting to these people. Yeah. And it happened again the second time I watched it, like the same <laughs> reaction at the same time. And it was that same kind of real moment of seeing a son and father connect. Yeah, in, in in this you know quick Academy Award speech, seeing these people connect to each other, and feeling a part of that, uh, that's what this movie and so many other movies in the seventies did. Nashville really lets you into these fake fake people, and they really feel, feel like real, people. Yeah. And you see a lot of human stuff. You see, you know, Lily Tomlin dealing with her her deaf children, and not not ever seeming exasperated, right. At well, all, but well, Ned Beatty. And seeing her husband just not even try. He is not even trying to learn sign language. These kids are 12. <laughs> yeah. And he is just like... pick something up And he's now. just doing the lame... He's doing, like, l- loose, classic parenting, just asking, did you learn? Did you learn something? Just dumb parent questions, right? What you do in school today? Did you yeah. learn? All right. <laughs> all right. What's he saying? Yeah. yeah, what's he saying? Yeah, what's he saying right now? Just no attempts to connect with the son, but... Maybe it's one redeeming scene, the one scene where things, where you get a little hope. It could have gone so differently. It ends up ending with him being the saddest scuzz in the flick. But when Lily Tomlin's teaching Keith Carradine sign language, that connection, I wasn't expecting. Mm -hmm. I was expecting some lust when Carradine was singing a song to 17 women in a crowd. (laughs) (laughs) Man, that power. That power. Jeez. That's can a, you, no can, man should have that power to that's just the thing. have five women 
just in love with you. You're watching for no reason. Uh, Carradine be just a jerk. The way he slaps Opal and be like, "Wake up!" <laughs> like when you just when you want somebody gone, right? Mm. But I've also never performed a wimp rock song on guitar while while everybody made googly eyes <laughs> just at me. after you. So yeah. I've never lived that life. I don't know how crazy I would go. I already admitted that if I worked on I don't know how any actor can never not fall in love with anybody they're pretending to fall. I'd be tricked right. immediately. Right. I I fall in love with Gwen Wells just watching this movie. If I had <laughs> one scene with her, I would be head over heels. Be done. I'm done. So, <laughs> you know, it's so easy to connect in these moments. And it's such a sad, you know, that's the only person it seems like Carity. That's the one bit that seems like he's actually more interested in this one who really played a lot harder to get. Mm-hmm. He still appreciated landing a different, a more difficult to land fish, right? But not so much that he didn't try to rub it in right when she's, choosing to leave instead of stay right mm-hmm. yeah when when uh, yeah he gets with lily tomlin at the end and it seems genuine until the moment she has to leave and then he just turns off the machine and just all right ignores her calls up another woman starts talking to someone else immediately never gets out of bed this guy's in his bed 90 percent of this movie yeah when he's he not on stage he's just in bed he's having some beers and, yeah. and smoking in bed <laughs> Just shirtless with the sheet pulled up uh, over the you. Seventies. Just the, just like not even getting scrubbed down in between. Just like a whore with yeah. different visitors throughout the day, right? And uh, perfect hair. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> just looking good. You know, there's some real. You have some real uh, Keith Carradine costume possibilities, oh, especially man. the knee-high boots he's wearing at the Parthenon. See, I've already you, picked you have, up my Bill Pullman Serpent in the Rainbow outfit. From. We got to write these down. <laughs> we got to write these down. All mine are, have to be glasses. So the best I can do is like Roy Scheider in one scene of Jaws. Well, we get you a big white guy fro. You could be Bill from Bill, Tom, and Mary. Yeah. You could be the <laughs> that cuck. Is such a... You could be the cuck of the trio. <laughs> no. What a sad. What Man, a, maybe he's about the sad, real. I was going to say, the saddest character is Bill in this thing because the oblivious husband who's wife is sleeping with the bandmate yeah thinking he's trying to salvage a marriage that's already done yeah man that's tough i know like thurston moore broke up sonic youth you can't you can't be sex and other women when your wife's the yeah the, but it's not like it was uh they're a trio and lee ronaldo was the <laughs> one <laughs> like right jesus man but yeah the biggest, like you said, the biggest band of the of the 70s and 80s. That was them, you know, Fleetwood Mac. Mm-hmm. That's just what happened. How could that, how could you exist? How could you live that life, man? That'd be the worst. And that's Bill, Tom, and Mary. And yeah, just Keith Carradine actually showing a little bit of a human side with Lily Tomlin, only to turn it off when he was rebuffed. Mm-hmm. He was only going to put up so much work for somebody that he's still, he does not value connection anymore. He's getting a different kind of connection, which will burn out yeah. at some point. You know, Elliot Gould didn't know he'd be doing that one zombie movie in 1990. In 1975, he was showing up to a Nashville barbecue and just glad handing and trying to have a drink. He didn't know he'd have to be like, well, I... 
got to pay my agent. Mm-hmm. So I got to do whatever the zombie. That's wants. the difference between Haven and Tom in this movie, right? Tom's the young guy who thinks he's just going to ride this gravy train. Yeah. Or doesn't have the foresight to care about his future. Whereas Haven, obviously, is the guy who's built this thing brick by brick. Yes. And has established himself as this long-standing fixture in town. And yet, Very purpose, you know, purposefully. And yet, I'm pretty sure that Pearl is his mistress. There's some uh, when the son is being when his son is in being interviewed by Opal. He says something about how his mom's in Paris. Yeah, it's like, yeah, well, who's yeah, this yeah. club owner that he's palling around with every day and every? So I don't know. It's all these country stars had troubled lives, you know. People make things. I, it, that's what thing that always gets me about people that. Life is so fucking complicated. Yeah. And then you go out of your way to just complicate it further. Just further, right? With women or drugs or whatever, you know, what have you. Yeah. Choosing to have a child when you're 39. There's a... Stupid stupid (laughs) complications like that. Yeah, brother. There are a lot of the... Haven has cultivated this personality so that he's now potentially openly having an affair. But he's just... That guy, you know, mm-hmm. he's the man about town. You know, uh, Barbara Jean, her hu- her husband's working himself. Barnett's working himself God. to an early heart attack, protecting her image. Right. He's the guy that seems like he could be 50 years old. Yeah. But he's probably like 38 in the movie. He's the only person in the movie who seems out of shape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's also eating nothing but Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> got a great k Fry C ad in here. got some sponsorship from KFC. We love that. He had a stack. You know Barbara Jean was not eating that. He was eating some kind of apple pie or something in that scene. Right? Yeah, well, a little I don't even like know a what hash brown eating. cake. I loved it. <laughs> I wish we could have got Barbara Jean eating just like a wing. <laughs> With her painted nails just giant, delicately eating. Giant teeth just chomping just into big a chicken old teeth. Oh, I love Friday Blakely looks so beautiful in this movie. Yeah, it's it's that kind of when you see a celebrity up close, you know, we live in a celebrity culture, right? And you and I have both been around some level of celebrities, right? Whether accidentally or going to a mm-hmm. convention, right? And you just notice different things, you know, and you see how they're made up and you're you know the makeup process to make these people look and you hear stories about Mariah Carey going places with lighting guys. Yeah. Or how a, a friend of a friend worked as Brendan Fraser's like hair wrangler. <laughs> when Fraser was at his Great peak, title. he just had like a, you know, you got to keep the, the tuft and everything all perfectly positioned. Mm-hmm. You know, look at Hayden's big toupee swoop that he had going on. You think Connie White walks around with that kind of body hair all day? You get to the level where you have somebody that keeps that hair body up. Yeah. Barbara Jean has a couple people. Always at her side and always, I think this time I heard Alan Garfield say something like, who told you that she does her hair that way? She's coming out at the Opry Bell. Right. Well, how do you think these celebrities are doing it during a pandemic? They're not making up their own hair. Yeah. Like people are moving in with Lady Gaga to keep up the hair and make (laughs) it. Exactly. Frazier's tough wrangler would have been living with Frazier in <laughs> yeah. the 90s. He might have been. Probably. If he was already traveling Probably easier with them. to just rent a room. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think we're in California, so I'm sure we all literally know somebody who at least knows somebody who was an assistant. You know, I, lo- I know somebody who did assistant work for Jack Black. Mm. My cousin was one of Benicio Del Toro's women that he paid their rent. 
There you go. This is you That's live in California. You see these people; they're around. They go yeah. to the same places you do. You've... That's such an Altman uh, plot, right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Oh, Julie Michelle was pretty too. She's she would have done well. She 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 undersold herself. She yeah. could have been perfect in that. Um, my beautiful cousin, everyone <laughs> had sex with Benicio del Toro a lot. Let's hear it. Give yeah. it up. Grand told me, told style. me about it in the middle of just randomly telling me like what her what her work day was like. Just dropped it. Oh yeah, I knew that guy. It's the best time to do you that. knew that guy. <laughs> Amazing. So these people, yeah, if you live in California long enough, you'll hear these stories about these kind of people. And this is Nashville's own version of that, right? Alan Garfield is running himself ragged protecting Barbara Jean's image. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be working, you know, for as frequently as Barbara Jean seems to confront hardships in this yeah. in this week. Seems like she's probably a hypochondriac or something. I don't know. What one of the uh the big Barbara Jean scene at the at the Riverboat concert when she just has a full breakdown. The way Ronnie Blakely can be I think her performances are the most captivating mm-hmm. in the movie. I don't know if that's the added tension of just this woman is going to hit one high note and faint. <laughs> and Robert Altman used his slowest. He did a lot of slow zoom ins on some people in this movie, but there's this one zooming into her, her emoting during this scene. She just looked like a woman going through the throes. Yeah. Battleground is a great song. Battleground is so good. And, that upbeat number, tape deck in his tractor, you know, you see the performer side of Barbara Jean before it just derails. Mm-hmm. And, man, just to see this Opry crowd, <laughs> there's, again, there had to be 2,000 people there. A lot of great crowd shots that I have no idea how they knew what was going on. <laughs> they couldn't have, right? I mean, Were they I, just seeing this woman just ramble? I assume that, uh, yeah, they probably... Probably knew they were filming for a movie. I mean, I don't think they uh, were unaware that they were... But you can't wrangle 2,000 people with no acting experience. You can't just grab two... You can't film a boat show at or the Waterworld show at Universal Studios and be like, yeah. all right, now you're all in a movie. <laughs> you know, you got to cast people to be in the crowd of Mighty Ducks. Altman's just casting anyone, right? And having Ronnie Blakely go up there, you know, basically emotionally naked and just... Be a crazy person. Oh man, I felt so. <laughs> I feel so bad for the. Well, for also at any time, anytime Barbara Jean's performing, we get the stare downs of like Scott Glenn and the other creepy guy, <laughs> and the sweaty guy with a mysterious case. So there's always this like Hitchcock kind of tension every time she performs because you're waiting for the bomb to go off, kind of a thing. Yeah, and you're seeing these threatening type people kind of on the fringes and even Wade, like, uh, you know, the, the, the black guy, uh, Wade is such a protector of Sue Lee, who seems like such a good guy. And then also like, I don't know, I like the scene where he's almost about to start heckling, uh, Tom, Bill and Mary, or he's seeing, he's kind of being annoying in the back of the club. I mean, he, there's always just this kind of unhinged, Element. He outright chases Tommy Brown's group out of a bar and yeah. then punches a man. <laughs> now, it's true that the man he punched did turn out to be a murderer, yeah. but he didn't know that when he threw the punch. No, wait, but wait is the one guy who has Sue Lean's back. Yeah. Sue Lean is going to agree to anything. She has no bargaining skills. She has no talent for the thing she wants to do. She can't sing. She can't sing. Girl, Girl. 
You have to know. You have <laughs> but to you know. Can't sing. <laughs> but people see, you know, if Altman. But it's like you know, Lily Tomlin's perspective of Wade is totally different from yeah. Sue Ellen or or you know the other people who know him better. Yeah, Wade is buttoned like, in on her small booth seat yeah, at at yeah, this show. Exactly. Wade is coming off like a creep. <laughs> But Wade doesn't look like a guy who would even consider taking advantage of Sue Lean. You know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. Haven Hamilton is pushing people around Nashville all week. And the second Barbara Jean is hurt, he is dropping to her, right? He is mm-hmm. only concerned about her. So you get to see these reactions. And the Parthenon setting at the end is so good. What a weird thing to have in the middle of a town what an odd humongous building yeah to have i love how you get to hear the character telling the story about it i think it's ned Beatty telling (laughs) yeah telling michael murphy about how it's just basically plaster of paris and wood and well it was well i know but i that's Mm. just such a great like metaphor for the whole fucking thing like yeah this you know this city that has made this one industry its life and it's propped up yeah everything is it's just such a facade. Yeah, man, you're propped up by by keeping these certain images. The yeah. second you're projecting the image that your fans don't want you to project, you don't have fans. Yeah, people will will uh, you know choose with their money about these people. When the Dixie Chicks said the most harmless thing twenty years ago, done. Yeah, that is it. It's such a yeah, and that's the, that's got to be the eternal struggle for for any kind of performer or. A person who wants to make money, you know, to get people to pay you to sing a song. It's that's getting harder every year. Yeah. So to just be someone who wants to be authentic but also popular and who, you know, knows that they have to put up this front to get what they want, but You're they seeing... don't want to lose their soul in the process. It's such a great weaving of all of this stuff together at the same time in this movie. Well, the great way that you learn more about other characters in this movie by looking at characters that might not even interact with some of these. Shelley Duvall is the person who's openly putting on wigs mm-hmm. the entire movie, the person who's trying her best to change her identity. As much as you can change your identity when, you know, you look like the hottest olive oil. <laughs> you know? I love the bit in the in the beginning where she's trying to get Tom to sign oh. her thing, and he's like, you got to get off that diet. <laughs> 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 she is skin and bone. Yeah. It's insane. Oh man, such a unique person. She looks good. I I love how she looks in this movie, especially that opening airport scene. Yeah, God, she's so nobody looks like Shelley Duvall, right? Yeah, she looks like such a presence. Yeah, but yeah, you got to get off that diet (laughs) before it ruins you. Oof, (laughs) that's that's harsh. Yeah, Uh, Tom likes a little meat on the bone. Yeah, apparently, (laughs) dude, to be dissed by to be rejected by Tom. Guys, that hurts. Guys, going for everything. He's right? got a type. He's he likes pretty dark haired women. He's got a type. <laughs> if Barbara Harris weren't looking for food her whole time, she would have been uh, <laughs> under his spell. <laughs> Shelley Duvall's chasing after boys, and Barbara Harris is chasing after like steaks. She's got a chicken wing or something. She every is. Time she is. What a great her. eating performance. Yeah. Uh, but so <laughs> Shelley Duvall is, you know, her appearances. Haven has his appearance the same. Mm-hmm. He is wearing his suit. He has an he image. He has found his yeah his niche. You know his image. when when Johnny Ramone got got cancer, like I saw some of his where he, he said like his wife bought him wigs. She says nobody wants mm-hmm. you going out of the house not looking like 
Johnny Ramone. Yeah, the Ramones, great example. They stuck to the look. Yeah, you look like a Ramone. You have to look like a Ramone now. You do it. And so it's that thing where the level of fame, you know, the Ramones got. Johnny Ramone dying, knowing he's dying, still having to like, that's that's Haven. Mm -hmm. He's still got to wear the pompadour, even though he doesn't have the the top sides going now. (laughs) And uh, you still got to keep that image. And his image is up always. And Carradine doesn't know that an image can be tarnished this badly, right? He's not playing it safe. Shelley Duvall is actively trying to find the image that's going to get her the right person's attention, right? Mm -hmm. So everybody's putting on masks throughout this to some level. Everybody's putting it on. Some are are sweatily carrying around a mysterious guitar case (laughs) while doing it, you know. But other people are having to do it just to keep glad handing and fake smiling through all the people you have to meet every day. Mm -hmm. So many wheeling and dealing happening in this movie. People being bought and sold. Hair staying buoyant. (laughs) Except, did you notice how flat Barbara Harris's hair kept getting? She did not have the same facilities that Connie White had. Yeah, she's sleeping in her car. She's in a car. You can't keep that big curly poof up. It would get like flatter and flatter some scenes, then the next day it would be nice and round (laughs) again. Barbara Harris performing at that racetrack. (laughs) With no sound. Why would they do that? There's a a scene. It's like, I get it. You're Nashville. There's music everywhere. Every club's got a little stage. Everybody's playing music all the time. At the racetrack? You got to have a, you got to have music at the racetrack. It's a performance town. It is baked in. Dedicated. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Like I said, they couldn't even, you can't even hear the music, but you see frogs playing. So you know it's got to be good. He's gigging everywhere (laughs) he can get a gig. Frog is playing. Every marching band in town, every baton squad. Barbara Jean was injured by a fire baton. Nashville (laughs) is just has to be on at all times. Everybody is just putting on their routine in Nashville. And I don't know. Does Christmas smell like oranges to you, Charlie? That seems like a very (laughs) southern thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also yeah I do kind of love that I couldn't relate to some of this movie. Like some of this is you don't need to connect with every. Some of this is so baked into Nashville and and the South and that time. And everything was so, you know, there was a lot that was still relative. Yeah. The political turmoil, the sense of unease, the, you know, the overall message that America's beautiful but fucked up. You know, that's pretty relatable. This had to be right at the same time as like Nixon resigning. I think it was like exactly. Had to intersect right there, right? And yeah, the, the very kind of obvious at the end of the flag and the gun, you know. Yeah. Back to back. Um, but also, yeah, it's so baked in that there were so many of these real performers that I'm not going to know, you know, the mountain (laughs) ramblers or whatever they were, you know? Sure. So yeah, Vassar, like, Uh it's so great that it's such a, uh, snapshot of this seemingly real time as well. Oh, is an incredible snapshot of what people looked like in a major American city in 1975. And I love any film that gives us that kind of look. Just, uh, you know, the best we can do now is really great fashion. Like, Mad Men looks great. Mad Men's an incredible-looking show, and I love all those people in those clothes, right? Mm -hmm. Mrs. Maisel looks great. I love that kind of, right? But seeing these just people showing up around town looking like they look. Again, we do not have the same level of shirtless dudes with short shorts 
that we had from the 70s up through the late 80s. Yeah. The bleacher bum in every city just got priced out. We priced our bleacher bums out of the cities. Yeah. You don't get the you don't get the long hair like you used to get. Mm-mm. Yeah, you don't get the cutoffs anymore. No cut no cutoff short shorts, no no shirts off with no fear of uh having having a belly. <laughs> the the confidence of some of the men hitting on Suline. But then you see the kind of people that are also the the richest the guys leaning on her car in the in the accident drinking beer and hitting on her and her smiling back with her great chin. Mm-hmm. But then it's like the guys, the donor class is way worse. No different than those guys. They're throwing dollar bills, and she is doing the least motivated strip tease ever. Man, that was a tough scene. I'm, I'm so naive <laughs> yeah. that, A, I never considered the BBC woman was not from the BBC. I just take her at her word. Yeah. And B, yeah, when Sue Lean is asked to complete her performance, I didn't realize that the strip tease was expected you well like she's doing her own little jiggle jiggle i figured that's just how she likes to perform yeah but to think that then she was actually expected to take off the clothes this poor girl who I was like you're Aw. just like suline where you show up to that place in your pretty green dress and you had no idea they were implying you needed to strip i didn't I and would then not your whole big song is called is about how you can never get enough <laughs> that's just a bad one too yeah that's a tough break <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know she'd have to follow through with it. <laughs> the her impossible man. That scene where she tries to sing a Barbara Jean song and the piano player's trying to find her timing and she's making no attempts to find his timing. I don't know if this is just one of those great stories or something that they made up to make it even better. Supposedly, Altman sent her to singing lessons, and the movie's the end result. Oh no! Of this. I don't know if that's just a, you should have heard her before. I said we sent George Went to a personal trainer. That's like yeah. uh, where everyone sang in that one Woody Allen movie except Drew Barrymore. Because she <laughs> yeah. was so bad that they had to like dub her. Everybody loves like, you. Edward Norton <laughs> Everybody sings, says I love you. Whatever, yeah. Yeah. But they couldn't get Drew to get it. <laughs> no, we have to. I... But if you're playing a character who's supposed to be bad, I mean, how bad was she, I guess? Yeah, but those those raw edges songs and the just downright bad songs. I don't know. I I used to see Suleen as a lot sadder, and I guess you could say that maybe the worst is not yet to come mm-hmm. for her. Maybe this is the beginning of a bad stretch. But her little attitude to Wade when Wade saves her from Ned Beatty's sweatiness. Yeah. She seems to just bounce right back. Like, she just chalks this up as, like, just a bad one. She was bummed, but now Wade got her back, and she's, like, still has that I'll show you kind of spirit. (laughs) Yeah. I know. She basically gets, you know, assault. Yeah, like you said, there's almost a sense of assault in her performance being forced to strip in front of these men. Yeah. And uh, she wants to be a real singer, and she's had the most humiliating night of her life. She's absolutely dejected. As soon as Wade and you know says anything about her not being able to sing, it's just like, oh, you, you don't get you, it. You, oh, you'll see. <laughs> I got another gig tomorrow. Yeah, yeah we we saw a solid hour like, of Wade starting shit. <laughs> Even at the Parthenon, he's like, you're driving the wrong way. He's like, <laughs> he's like the guy getting the hell out of Nash. He's done with that. He's, I'm he wants to go to Detroit. DC. I'm going back. Yeah, like this is not for me. This sucks, and. 
He's the one honest guy, though. He's the guy not trying to con. Sue, just girl, you have to know. You, I, I need to hear you say it. You need to tell me you, <laughs> you can't. Gotta say know it. you can't. You say have it. to know. You better know. <laughs> but yeah, the the big Parthenon and the big scene with even mo- somehow even more extras than the airport scene mm-hmm. and where the real actors are really blending in with the humans for you know the most of any scene they are out among the masses you you have to have no idea who is the focus of any shot at any given time for altman to just swing these cameras around and just yeah be on everybody be on but not the people that aren't supposed to be on like (laughs) how do you direct this how do you get footage that's usable garfield screaming about the banner Mm. you know (laughs) to michael murphy calling him Buster, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the uh, it almost yeah it almost seems like they planned all the stammering because there's so much stammering, especially at the end. Yeah, and uh, yeah, they're just moving throughout the crowd, and it feels like a real concert scene at that end. Real, real scene that really feels like something bad's gonna happen. It's no, it's you very know, oblivious that by it's that point you know bad. the the guy with the fiddle case who's never played it and who's a weirdo. You know he's up to no military good. man is always a uh, a suspect. Yeah, that's I can. Right. Ne- Glenn is also always for me just as much of a. You know, I heard Altman was gonna. He was considering not doing a cutback to the crowd. He didn't have to. Oh, to see who fires the shot, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, that's yeah, probably spoiler. Alert, Barbara Jean gets shot. Yeah, right. As in the does stomach. Haven gets it in the arm, and uh, yeah, it's our kind of taxi driver. This guy is not, but he no. tries to. Uh, but it yeah. is that same, you know, disillusioned American dream. We don't, I I didn't really, well, you talk about characters that didn't really have as much to do until you think about them more, like Tommy Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, the character of the killer, I don't know his name. I think his name was Kenny. Kenny. We'll yeah. go with Kenny. Yeah. Uh, talk about a character really with nothing much. You know, he's staying at the boarding house for a screaming deal, completely ignoring Shelley Duvall. <sighs> Yeah. Okay, dude. <laughs> All right, cool guy. But yeah, he's always just in the crowd watching, sipping on his little sodas. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Pushing but his glasses up. I don't know if I really saw how how much they really implied, like, no, he's going to be killing the Walker. You know, you see him kill Barbara Jean, but this guy is coming to town for the Hal Philip Walker rally. Mm. That's who he's coming to see. That's the guy who he's going by the campaign headquarters after dark. Right. And pet in his briefcase. <laughs> Soon, my sweet. So I'm wondering yeah. what happened where he, you know, thinking from his perspective, like, what made him take out Barbara Jean instead? Just got there and saw the way the crowd was worshiping her? I don't know. And yeah. that, that would give him question. more attention than a political assassination? Like, this was who they worship in town. Well, you see him at the Grand Ole Opry when Barbara Jean's supposed to perform, but doesn't. Yeah. You see him at the Riverboat show watching Barbara Jean with just disdain and yeah he seems to really dislike her in particular yeah you see him talking to his mom at one point she's overprotective so there's got to be some kind of woman hating incel kind of thing going on there but yeah he he definitely seems like he's after the politician yeah and he and barbara jean was the latest ad to the show hates this woman so much i i don't know i don't know i think there's a segment of i think we're seeing a lot of violence against people because people just don't want anyone else to be happy. Yeah. Or successful or pretty or loved. Like there's a group of dudes probably mostly out there <laughs> who just are not 
they they're not happy, and anyone else who is happy, they're just gonna shit on them or threaten them, yeah. or hurt them. A lot of people motivate themselves now by just actively trolling people. Yeah, just trying to get a negative reaction. Yeah, because they can't get positive reactions, and so this guy does have a big, you know, that kind of vibe where. I mean, if you if you're ignoring Shelley Duvall in her in her see through undies, then just to have an argument with your mom, man, my mom, my mom can wait. <laughs> this guy has other plans in mind. There's yeah. other things that he cares about. But that the craziest thing about that shooting scene, though, is that after shots have been fired and chaos has erupted, the crowd doesn't leave. <laughs> That's not how they do it in Nashville. That, yeah, this isn't this isn't Dallas. This is Nashville. Yeah, they can't do it. The so show goes on. The dedication to the show and to see all the people in the crowd stay and clap along to the song. I mean, you know, this Pretty, was after Altamont. Hmm. This was at you know, there's other you know, people died at Woodstock. People did you know, people died at shows where I forget who the band was. Not even not even talking great white. I mean you hear the tramplings, who. the who in Cleveland, I think it was. And a you big people one. can be at a show yeah. and have no clue that tons of people died. You know, it's not like today that we're just conditioned to think of shootings. Yeah, yeah. You know, the mass shooting wasn't really as much of a thing. They tried to blame Waltman uh uh Waltman. They tried to blame John Lennon's death on Altman. Some guy, oh, got, some, you know, some journalist tried to ask him about it, and he's like, what? Five years later? <laughs> yeah. No, these people are just out there. Celebrity worship is out there. These people are, you know, it's amazing it doesn't happen more often, mm. honestly. This is 45, 50 years ago, the idea of this cultural worship. And I think the the final, yeah, you said you get choked up. I get choked up at the end. I uh, The Barbara Jean character is so tragic. Yeah. And... Her final, the my, I think that's my favorite song in the movie. For ranking our songs mi- mixed with performances, my Idaho home and the what she's putting into it, that moment of her seeming, actually she is, maybe she is pulling it together, right? right? That when she can snap into performance mode like that, the way that somebody's built into the system, how scary it can be for them to just go into performance mode. Stephen King writing three novels that he doesn't remember writing. He was so deep into who he was and his alcoholism, right? Who knows what pills she was on, but that performance comes out. I think it's her best. And maybe that's because you know it's all building something bad. Yeah. It's a great number, though. It's just, it's almost a Ronnie Blakely ramble, but it's just set to music. There's a line about her dad selling chicken medicine to farmers. <laughs> it somehow fits in a like, yeah, it's a killer song. <laughs> yeah, that one. That's a one of those songs where there's no breath in between the verse. Yeah, it's like da 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 da. And she's just channeling into her music and into her recognizable hits. But then when she's just freewheeling, when she goes off script, man, she's unwinding. Hmm. The crowd shot, the big up high crane shot he did, and her collapse. That's a scene. That's a shot. This movie's filled with shots that I don't know how he got, but I I love that angle it took. And you didn't have to show... Just showing the crowd and seeing Barbara Jean go down in a heap, mm-hmm. you didn't have to show the sweaty guy with the mysterious gun case shooting gun. You could have left it. Uh, people, want, people want that closure. Even if it doesn't solve anything, they want it. But it's an interesting choice. Well, that's what... Uh... To me, at the very end of this movie, what's so interesting is you don't really get closure on any story. No. 
You don't. You don't even know if Barbara Jean you survives. Really, you, yeah, you you just see her get carted off. It doesn't sound good. Sounds bad. Sounds like <laughs> Sounds she's really bad. A lot, but you never find out what happens to her. Uh, Ned Beatty and Lily Tomlin just leave at one yeah, point. They, Bill grabs Mary. They take off. Like people just kind of scatter. And yeah, we don't know whatever happens to them. We don't know what did Wade go to Detroit. We don't know if yeah, did this interrupt you know, things? What happens to like Scott Glenn? That whole character. I don't know what the hell that dude's doing in the movie the whole time. He's just like he's a Barbara he's, Jean fan. He's just watching her the whole time. He's not. He's a guy doing creepy things who's actually not a creep. Yeah, the guy who sleeps by her bedside after sneaking into her hospital room, but doesn't want to touch a boob. Right. Like he's actually. Yeah, he's a good guy, but a definite <laughs> certified creep. But yeah, there's so many unanswered questions at the yeah, end. He seems but just like a Barbara Jean super fan. Doesn't yeah, it doesn't hurt the you know, it doesn't hurt the enjoyment of the movie. I mean, he even obliviously but, talks to Keenan Wynn about how nice Barbara Jean was to him after, you know, without knowing Keenan Wynn's wife just mm-hmm. died because he was so enamored that he got to like touch Barbara Jean's hand, you know. She's just as nice in person as they say. I bet you hear all that all it takes is one celebrity the wrong day, you know. I heard he's an asshole. Right. You know, it's must be awful. Must be <laughs> awful being famous and recognized everywhere. You imagine just eating a sandwich somewhere and just seeing, you know, five sets of eyes like pointing and, and looking back constantly right. at you. You got to be on all the you time. You have to be right. on. And it must be exhausting <laughs> being on like this. So you can see the levels of seclusion mm-hmm. might be necessary. The room with less and less people. At the end, right? Makes sense. And yeah, just this chaos. Uh, Haven's toupee flying off in the craziness. But even uh, even dirty old Tom is one of the people carrying mm-hmm. uh, Ronnie Blakely out of there. And Haven's the one who's, you know, he's rattled. He cares about Barbara Jean. But now he's the guy who has to, the audience can't know that something's wrong. We got to... You know, he's really driving that Nashville spirit, trying yes. to. Trying to keep, yeah, trying to keep that spirit alive. Somebody sing. Somebody sing something. Of all the people to sing. Who can we get to sing? Yeah, perfect. I just look. Is <laughs> Barbaris lying in a heap off the side of the stage while during her performance? This is, of one positive thing came out of it, also probably the best thing that could have happened to Sue Lean. She seemed to grow up a lot. In that assassination. Right. Just that her sitting here in her pretty and pink dress against the Parthenon, just with a, with sad, like sad uh, yeah, Florence Pugh face really on. She shuts down. Yeah. She's, yeah. she's the darker side of the show business. The price we pay for yeah. success. But yeah, then to have uh, Barbara Harris take the mic and <laughs> lead that final song. That's where, you know, that's just the sum of everything in the movie just comes out in that one song yeah and uh watching it the second time it really hit me at the very end while she's singing this it don't worry me and everyone's getting into it clapping they show all these crowd shots of people in the audience and there's like maybe 10 shots in a row that have a a kid in them. a lot of kids yeah i noticed that teenagers clapping young kids kids and babes in arms and you don't really see a lot of kids in the movie (laughs) Up until this, you know, you had the deaf kids and... and uh, yeah, there's a lot of a after hours, all ages bar But you don't see like families. Right. Aside from Lily Tomlin's family. And then to see all these families and the kids. And I don't know, there was just something that was like... And then there's a big group shot. 
And then there's a shot of these two like stone cold cops walking through the crowd. Yep. And then it's like the the end of the movie. There's just this this very like real like wow, fifty five years ago or whatever this is, the cops were not the ones to solve the, the murder. Nope. The cops didn't help anybody. Nope. They just looked like badasses and did nothing. Everything happening in this movie it's is so still the exact crazy. same thing happening today. Worse. Yeah. But you talk about. Hal Philip Walker's platform. This time I really, like I said, I'm so fascinated hearing a candidate in, yeah, like you said, 50 years later. It's like, I'm going to take on big oil. I'm going to cut farmer subsidies. You're running on cutting subsidies for farmers, <laughs> which is, yeah, probably makes a lot of sense. It's just cutting subsidies for corporations now. Mm-hmm. They're all, all farms are owned by a major conglomerate, but that's still, so to hear that they wanted to do this, the replacement party. This is the new sheriff in town, right? Tax churches. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Tax churches. Yeah. 75. That was this candidate. I'm just like, God, I can see why people are getting, and I can see why somebody would want to shoot this character. Right. You know, abolish the electoral college. We can see now once Texas tips, you're going to Republicans are going to abolish that thing. So damn quick. Hmm. It's ne- it's that's the only chance, right? People wanted one one person, one vote fifty years ago for this fake replacement party. Change the national Yes. <laughs> we need to change this national anthem. We need a banger. Other countries <laughs> got some jams. National anthem is stodgy. I am for I I'm goo goo for more goo goo than a goo goo cluster, man. <laughs> I love Walker. And so I'm really hearing this and yeah, we're still in the exact same battles. Yeah. Nashville is humanity. And they are showing us a snapshot of what things were like 50 years ago. The exact same thing. The clothes have slightly changed. Right. And things are more crowded and people are more cynical. You know, I don't think mm-hmm. a place like Nashville would that try to, you know, it's all thinking about your. there's at least someone you're better than. In this movie, you could see all 24 people and what they think their spot in this hierarchy is and what their actual spot and how they keep and maintain that spot or how they work up from their low spot. People are, it's all the same thing. I think it's also telling too that what I've heard is that at the time when this came out, obviously the locals in Nashville did not like it. Oh, sure. And now it's a very popular movie in Nashville. Like after this generation has accepted the the music maybe from it and and whatnot it's like i think we really gotta do (laughs) we have our own version of this movie like santa rosa has their own had to come out really similar time you ever heard of smile yes i have yeah 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 smile came out in 75 with bruce dern and it was about like a small town beauty pageant and it's set in our town and it's called that in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I don't, And the people of Santa Rosa got heavily involved, right? Buildings, businesses, extras, everything. This was a Santa Rosa movie, the first. And this movie treats Santa Rosa like the most backwards-ass country bumpkin <laughs> losers possible. They make it seem like the shittiest shithole. <laughs> nice. And you can... And Nashville is this... Really feels like kind of a flamboyant, but not a doesn't feel that dishonest of it or maybe even unfair of a portrayal this has a lot to say and it's not going off half cocked Mm -hmm. about its messaging 
but we have our own movie where some producers be like, yeah, we're making a movie called Coolsville. <laughs> it's just like Santa Rosa, the lamest city in... Uh, what? <laughs> Imagine sh- the people in 75, they did the f- opening night premiere in Santa Rosa out at Lakeside. Oh, man. Imagine showing up at my business was in the movie. Here's Ed's loser hardware. It's like, <laughs> what? Everyone's got fake buck teeth. <laughs> yeah, imagine the uproar in town. So everybody in Nashville, you know all the big stars who whose songs didn't get used in the movie. Well, that's, yeah, exactly. They're going to see this movie and saying, obviously Connie White is base, is supposed to be me. Is that how they, you know, so I could see how this was not accepted yeah. at the time. But now, yeah, it's a new generation. People now grew up. At some point, it became camp. And then if it goes on long enough, it just comes to embody that, right? Right. And Nashville really just embodies, it's us. It's so, it could come off so cheesy to show that big shot of the Parthenon panning up into the perfectly waving America. See that ripple Mm -hmm. going through the American flag? Flawless. (laughs) Flawless. Yeah. Flawless flag ripple. Masterful, right? (laughs) It's just, yeah. There's one big shot to the American flag rippling during barber jeans last it's like once you're getting all these shots of kids and seeing babies seeing old dads mm-hmm. young dads old dads some 16 year old wearing a pot leaf on his shirt the boundaries with these kids <laughs> that snapshot of america is just it's perfect man i don't know how many 70s movies i i love more than this i don't know how many movies i love more than this uh, nashville's i think it, the more I connect with this, the older I get, the more prescient it keeps proving <laughs> to be about this kind of culture. I just love it. It seems as relevant now as it somehow did in 75. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, it's a, I'm glad I finally connected with it. You know, finally watched it. And, uh, you know, if, it, if I did see it in my 20s, I don't know if I would have had the maturity to, to kind of follow this story. Because, like, like we've said, no real plot. So many characters. You just have to kind of... It's like uh, looking at a giant painting. Yeah. And feeling something. But it's almost hard to articulate why. Because it is... It just feels real. And and it's one of those things... And I think there's that line, right? About like, just good to be alive. Like it just really does make you feel... Make you it makes you aware of things that maybe you're not aware of in your day to day life and the connections that you have day to day and the people that you run into at the store or at the club if you're in Nashville or something and yeah just to kind of be reminded of that shared humanity. There's a value. Seems in, almost cliche. There's a real something. value. The 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 longer you know the internet becomes more and more toxic. The longer it exists, the more valuable actual. Being real with someone is mm-hmm. is a pricey commodity these days. We all have layers of sarcasm, and we all have walls we put out. You know, we aren't we aren't going out openly telling people about if you have an awful week. You aren't saying so to everybody at the office, those right? Those people are weird. Those people <laughs> those people uh, draw a lot of attention to yeah. themselves that in unnecessary ways that maybe unwanted. <laughs> and uh, there's all little masks we got to put up and. People are still putting up the exact same ones, right? The value of realness come, keeps showing itself in this movie. The way Lily Tomlin can leave a rock star interaction with dignity in, a, in the face of really trying to get her face rubbed in it. Mm. When the chips are down, 
what what's society going to do? It feels like we're coming up to a head. Feels like we're on our way for a big event. I don't know what that'll be, but it feels like things are building. And how's humanity going to respond? But it also is kind of nice to know that it felt that way 50 years ago. Right. Is this the threat, and, and the threat what, that's always over the horizon? That whatever every big event, yeah, you know, whatever 9-11, Kennedy assassination, we've survived it. We've survived things. Yeah. You know, there's, I, I feel that too. What level of... We're so cynical now. And cynicism was there in that in in the movie Nashville, but you can also tell it was kind of like you can't be public about this. Negativity still doesn't sell, and it's that same thing. People still want to be told we're the best. Mm-hmm. That's all it takes is just say, "Well, we're doing, we're putting ourselves first. They're like, "We should be." That's all it takes still, and that tribalism could that the way it turned in Nashville to suddenly community after just seeming like chaos. Until the worst tragedy happened. It's a great ending. Mm-hmm. This is a great film. This is a great film. 1975 was big for movies. This got a lot yeah. of acclaim at the time, but I don't think I don't think anybody was ready for it. How could you be? To do this and Barry Lyndon come out in the same year. Hmm. Directors just getting to stretch out. Cuckoo's Nest. Right? Jaws. 1975 was Jeez, a director's stacked. year, huh? Just all of these greatest. I mean, I think I think, I think Fellini did did Amarcord to there. So all these guys just doing. You know what? I want to do something bigger and potentially less marketable than <laughs> exactly. I've ever done before, and I'm going to argue tooth and nail for this. And they're all somehow the best examples of their specific genre. Nobody can make Nashville. Any attempts would come up immediately phonier than veneers. Mm. And he went out there in one try and just made the biggest, most unduplicatable film you could. I think that's why it holds up as his best. I think it has to be my best, Altman. There's a lot of contenders. I haven't seen enough to really say. Yeah, like I said, I well, he's I a need guy to like see more Altman, he's a guy but... like Woody Allen who just makes a movie every year. Yeah. Alman ran. How do you make a movie this complicated? How are your movies this real? He embraced the idea that it's not that bad to occasionally make a stinker. You just keep rolling. Not everybody's gonna like Popeye. Keep it going. <laughs> keep it going. Keep it going. Keep it going, man. Up until you're 80. Uh, there's one rating system that I really, <laughs> I think this is important because it's impossible for you to rate your favorite character. Yeah. I think mine changes every time. This time for me, it was definitely uh, Barbara Jean and Haven. Mm-hmm. But everybody, I, I I can get into any one of them. So I really love the cover of the Nashville LP, the big poster with all of them animated, all 24. That's when I fell in love with the movie. When I found that record. I see Jeff Goldblum and his little tricycle at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, they all got their character, uh, yeah. you know, caricature. Car- yeah, drawing. they're... They're all their features are exaggerated and it's an amazing Big heads drawing. On tiny amazing bodies. drawing. But who do you think got the best treatment on this <laughs> infamous drawing? If you were one of the twenty four and you wanted to see yourself done right, who got done the most right in your view? Uh well my my three favorite, I guess, or uh, yeah, of we, the caricatures. Yeah. Uh one's gotta be Shelley Duvall. In her afro, <laughs> I I didn't have Duvall. I love her her teeth and her big afro. Got the big ridiculous afro. Uh, of course, I liked Karen Black. 
had is. Karen Black's one of my top three on it too. And then Goldblum down at the bottom with his big glasses and tricycle. Not everybody gets an accessory. Goldblum yeah. gets his whole tricycle and the <laughs> huge glasses. His name is Tricycle Man in the movie, so yeah. it, it checks out. So I think I think the Goldblum at the very bottom. I think that's like Nashville record cover one oh one. Yeah. I think that's every I think that's the that always jumps out as the favorite. So that's what jumped out at me about this. I don't even know how much I remembered about the movie after watching it <laughs> for the first time. But then look at that character. So he gets a great prop and he's great. I love shotgun props. You look at Henry Gibson with his glass of milk. Oh yeah. Yeah. He is. He's in my runner up. Henry Gibson's got yeah. a great one. Underdog dark horse. Alan Garfield gets a phone. Old, <laughs> old like fax machine Johnson here with a phone that matches his suit, just giving it to someone yeah, over yeah. the phone, just holding that phone. You know, banknotes uh, Harper here. So, <laughs> gotta go there. So um, I also love Gwen Wells in her pink gown because mm. we don't get to see her happy in the pink gown. She's sad because uh, her idol got shot. So I love her getting the full. We get to see a kind of alternate timeline of what could have happened to her. Keith Carradine also gets a good uh, toothy well, grin. He's a very happy guy on that cover. He's got his guitar yeah. case back there. Yeah. Who's the worst? I think we can all agree. <laughs> we all know the worst caricature on this is Opal, the BBC shrew. Rough. Who looks like a white walker from the <laughs> Game of Thrones. She's dead center at the top, too. Right up at nobody's she's, covering. She's got her little microphone prop, and but her hat looks like a sea cap instead of the kind of she jaunty like, little thing she had in the movie. She looks like death. That's a terrible character. If I heard a character, if I hadn't seen Nashville, but I heard one of these twenty-four people was just getting out of the burn unit, yeah, it would be her. It wouldn't. <laughs> it wouldn't be Barbara Jean. Bill doesn't look very good either. <laughs> no, Bill. Oh, Bill's got his, a, his white guy. A uh, Jew afro. His is mostly his Jew fro. <laughs> that takes up a lot of his caricature. My a real sad one, which is appropriate because it's one of the saddest characters in the movie. Keenan Wynn caricature seemed like he didn't remember. He didn't know which direction his he's, character should they, be facing. He's looking away. Yeah, he's, he's looking at somebody in the back of the room. Yeah, which Poor I guess guy. he is always looking for Martha. You do also have the great uh, guy w- who's. Uh, Chasing after Barbara Harris the whole movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. The old man he shaking his cane fist. down there. Yeah. Yeah. It is really one of those where I fell in love with this movie. I fell in love with this music. Uh, this album I-, I loved so much. What's your favorite song or performance? Mm. Sometimes it's not just the-, the tune being good, it's how it's framed in the movie. The, uh, it's a good question because I did like a lot of the performances. It, the performances have to work or else yeah. this movie is. Yeah unbearable uh man i really did like the song that gary Busey wrote oh the uh the the trio did since you gone that is a good tune my heart is broken man was he the one line too far it's like look we know this is a tooth movie yeah we can't hire this guy i guess they were gonna get him but yeah um didn't yeah the fact that gary Busey has a songwriting credit in this movie is pretty cool yeah and i like that song a lot and uh i'm easy is a good song and the final performance of uh, yeah, one I love you and my Idaho home from 
yeah. Ronnie Blakely her, her are really good. Her final performance and yeah, the the uh, the kind of what me worry uh, anthem at the end. Yeah, Barbara Harris's big <laughs> moment is amazing. Really good stuff. And uh, I I really liked Karen Black's Memphis. Hell, I love I love two hundred years. Are all good. Yeah. Karen Black is her performances are so her 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 yelling Joshua oh in that one song with Vassar on the violin she really knew how to, to to like throw her head back and just yeah. that mouth just flew open like Pennywise <laughs> yeah like it was Big time. it was great they the way they embraced their characters so much it's just an impossible task. It shouldn't have been this coherent. It shouldn't be this impactful. Shouldn't be that good to have the actors write their own songs and no. sing them. God, they no. should not have been that good. Like it's really like how how did they create these really good, authentic sounding yeah. country songs? Espe- but especially when you they're performers. They're you hear that it's not like they had. Mar- this wasn't heavily planned. This yeah. movie feels like you have to meticulously plan out all of its chaos. But a lot of it just was them. Like they were all just on the perfect groove. They yeah. had this again. It's Cassavetes, but with with thousands of people. I just flashed to yeah the the uh, what's the guy Mister Fascination? <laughs> I'm just getting booed. In, in Chinese bookie. Yeah, and how amateur that felt at times, and this felt authentic in the moment, not perfect, mm-hmm. not striking Wart, every right chord, but they did seem like they were the correct seasoned or unseasoned performer they should be in in the movie. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. needed all of this to hit, and somehow it just did. This is a masterpiece. It makes me want to go see all the other big Altman ones. Mm-hmm. Got to figure out, you know, maybe I'll like shortcuts more. Maybe Three Women's really great. The Long Goodbye was one of like, that still might be my favorite. Popeye might be Popeye good. is fun. <laughs> Popeye is weird. Popeye is weird. Might work. I love Robin Williams. Yeah. You love Robin Williams, sure. right? Altman just made, man, we got to. This is late for our first all. He made this uh, TV movie, Secret Honor. With, uh, Never heard it's of like it. a one man show of Richard Nixon just talking about Watergate and stuff. But like he made it in the 80s. Huh. It's, he made some weird stuff. We did, it you, looks like some. They, Vincent and Theo with like. Oh, sure. Vincent Van Gogh. Uh, Tim Roth is Vincent Van Gogh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guy made some weird sounded movies. He made movies that he wanted to make and yeah. he made movies like no one else. You ever see Tanner 88? It's like his, so Michael Murphy, triplet, mm-hmm. this movie, basically plays, it's him doing kind of a veep type of thing. But it was an HBO miniseries, ran in the 80s, done but with the Doonesbury guy. Oh, cool. Was the writer. Oh, that sounds good, yeah. Alban just has this vision for these people. But then he could do Gosford Park, which is a very good Agatha Christie you know, uh, mm-hmm. kind of movies. Like, he can do all this stuff. He's, what a talent. We're gonna. This is gonna become the Altman cast. Oh no! We're gonna be doing California Split. It's, <laughs> they're, it's they're all gonna be two hours and twenty minute long episodes. This will too. be the longest one. <laughs> I knew Nashville was gonna be a big one. We almost went the length of the movie. Almost, <laughs> but we could it, keep going. I don't know. There's so much stuff that I could, that I thought to talk about that said, "Nah, that's not important. No, nah, yeah. that's not important." A new thing is important to me every time I see it. I can never choose what's gonna resonate with me. It's always something different, or the exact same thing. Yeah came to this it did go find nashville one of the american classics yeah i don't know where you would criterion maybe it's always hard to find for some reason yeah people want to keep it a secret they don't want america to know Mm. the criteria yeah the criterion blu-ray went out of print 
Oh shit! You know, it was always hard to get on VHS because it was two tapes. Mm-hmm. That's why I had to see. I had to go to a school that had a that invested heavily in laser discs I see. <laughs> to see this movie. And that's college. why I have. You know, this is the kind of movie where you have the laser disc for that reason. Yeah, because it's not going to be everywhere all the time. Yeah, but find it. Yeah, find this movie and connect with this movie in your own way. Depending on what's going on in your life, I think different scenes mean something different. Yeah, I, it's a total. Yeah, you take what you want from it. Yeah, you know, you you get what you put into it. Incredible. Yeah, came to this. It did. I'm Charlie. I'm Eric. Thank you so much for listening, and good night. <laughs>